This is the joy of gaming. Welcome to the Joy of Gaming podcast, episode 63. I'm Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseka. And we are here to talk about some games. We have a jam-packed episode, Jordan. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, beyond just that we've, you know, gaming episodes come out a little less frequently with all the other shows now, but uh, E3 happened. and uh, It did, it did. There's been a lot of gaming, a lot of uh, developments in my gaming life that we'll get to. Um and so Which I, is going to be sweet. Yeah, there was a time there when it was a little bit dry in terms of what you were playing, and now you've I've, come full circle. Now I've played everything. That's all I've played. Yeah, which is cool, which is cool. So we got a lot to talk about. Me too. I've also been playing a lot of things. I've gotten this new mode uh, that I've kicked into, which is like completion mode, and I think you have too a little bit. Yeah. Um, where it's like I want to finish stuff. I want to get it like knocked off the list. And sometimes that feels a little like a chore, but like because you have to get through slow parts of a game to get to the part that you really, you know, to get to the really exciting ending or just to just to get it done. Yeah. You know? um, but anyway, so let's um, here's how it's going to go. Uh, first, we're going to talk about a couple random little news items here at the beginning. Um, then we are going to move on to talk about E3 and uh, the the way we're going to do that, um, as you re- uh, suggested yesterday, is. We're going to talk about our favorite three announcements, or at least three things about E3 we want to talk about. Two of mine are, like, overarching favorite things, and one of them is sort of positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but it, you know, it really gives a good summation of my take on, 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 you know, this year's event. Yeah, mine are straight announcements, but, I mean, really, it's been a couple weeks now, and... Uh... You know, this episode's going to come out pretty quickly after we record it, but we just, right. you know, we don't want to spend a whole episode talking about E3 when, I mean, already more post-E3 news stuff is coming out. It's true. Not not a ton, but definitely some. Um, and then after that, we're going to talk about all the things we've been playing, or at least most of the things we've been playing, the notable ones. And um, without any further ado, Jordan, uh, why don't you kick it off with that exciting uh, news from yesterday? All right. Well, the big uh, the big thing is it's D23 Expo, which is Disney's big event where they kind of announce things from all corners of their world, which now includes Marvel and Star Wars and uh, all their classic properties, live action and animated. So a lot right. of big things if you're a Disney fan. Uh, and if you're a video game fan, they had a whole hour dedicated to showing off some of their upcoming games. They showed off, you know, the Spider-Man game a little more. But the big news was uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. The long, unbelievable, the long-awaited Kingdom Hearts three, so long, uh, had its new trailer and a new world, which they had announced last month when they showed off some of uh, the Olympus, the new Hercules world, uh, or the new version of it, because he's the Colosseum's a big part of Kingdom Hearts in the past, uh, and they officially announced Toy Story, the first Pixar property as a a full featured world in Kingdom Hearts three. Has that not been a world before? Uh, no, they've never done a full Pixar world. They've had off-handed references, and I think it's either the first or the second game. They actually had, in the code, models for Buzz and Woody, but they've never really gone all in on it. And in fairness, you know, I think Kingdom Hearts 2 came out in 2005 in Japan, so I don't even know mm-hmm. that they owned Pixar yet officially at that point. Oh, wow, okay. Um, but now, you know, 
12 years of additional time, they now own Pixar outright. It's one of their big studios, so it makes sense. And, and also it makes sense they would save this for a big mainline entry as opposed to any of the numerous spinoffs they've had. God, there's been so many. Well, let me say one thing about this. Why I ask and why it's so surprising is that seems like the lowest hanging fruit of all time. That is, like, by far the most ready for a video game world to shrink down to the size. Because I think that's what I saw, right? They, you shrink down to the size of Buzz and Woody, and you're, like, in, in the... You're, you know, yeah, you're, like like some of the past worlds, you take on the form of that world, so they are toy... They're action figures. Um, and you do toy stuff, like, hang out... You hang out with Buzz and Woody, you go to the toy store, Sora actually gets into, like, a toy mech suit and fights Titanfall oh, style. Dude. So that's pretty cool. That sounds That sounds great. I'll tell you what... Square Enix is one of the most frustrating companies of all time, and they are such a slow burn company. Um, and and you know about two years, excuse me, about a month ago or two months ago, that there was a quote that was very disheartening, and it although more realistic maybe than some of their other quotes when they talked about the release dates for both Final Fantasy VII. Literally, any time they announce a, re- a release date. <laughs> yes, but but what they said was uh, in the next two to three years, Seven and Kingdom Hearts Three will be coming out. So everybody was like, yeah, at least three years. And they're, if they say three years, that makes you think maybe it's going to be five. Um, but I understand there's an update to that. Yeah, they have the end of the trailer after... you know, It's a solid trailer. It's a five-and-a-half-minute trailer. Um, so a lot of content to, to just look at. Uh, they put the release window of 2018, which, yeah. you know, huge grade of salt on that. Right, right. I want to be excited. I mean, but like I said to you when we discussed this, you know... I really feel like even if they say 2018, like if we get this early 2019 or even fall 2019 after the inevitable delay, that's that's better than I was expecting, to be honest with you. No, yeah, I, I think it wouldn't be unrealistic to have assumed it wasn't going to come out till sometime next decade, given that it's already been 12 years. You know, I could see it as a 2020, 2021, hell, 2022 game as long as they take on these things. Look how long Final Fantasy 13 and 15 were in development. It's true, especially 15 slash versus 13 slash, you know, train wreck. Um, and, you know, the the interesting thing about all of this is, well, I guess the unfortunate thing, it'd be one thing if they took 10 years to make versus 13 slash 15 into some masterpiece. But I think, and we'll talk about this more later because I know that you've played more of it, um, you know, even the people who love 15, even the very high reviews say that it was a hodgepodge, kind of a train wreck, kind of a hot mess. They ended up liking it, you know, regardless of that or in spite of that fact. But it's not like they put 10 years in and made, like, this cohesive, brilliant masterpiece. No, no. Um, And that's unfortunate. You know, it's like if you're going to take all this time, it seems like they're just stopping and restarting and and going back to the drawing board and, oh, no, new console generation, guess we got to restart, you know, or whatever. I don't know what they're thinking over there. You know, they like to take their time, and I think there, there's a couple things that I think separate Kingdom Hearts. I mean, it is one of their—it's surprising how big of a franchise it's become for them, given how insane it seemed at the time, you know, to mash Sony or Square Enix characters or Square characters at the time. That's how long it's been. Right, and, right, right. Um, Disney characters, but now it's this big, huge thing where people are still ravenous for it, even though there hasn't been a mainline entry Um in over a decade. And the closest, I mean, I think the most well-regarded of the spinoffs was Birth by Sleep, and even that's, what, eight years old at this point? 
Yeah, it's a, a PSP, right? Yeah. Not not Vita. Yeah, it was PSP. Um, but I think was was Dream not yeah was it Dream Drop? What was the um? Was there a Vita one? Or there no? was not a Vita one. Dream Drop Distance was the 3DS one because it was 3D okay. for the Dream Drop Distance. Oh goodness! And then there was 358 over two. 358 over two days. Yeah, that was a DS game. So yeah, that's that's crazy. There's so and then there's obviously Chain of Memories. You know, in between, um, I guess one and two, right? Yeah, which is also um, pretty well regarded. But again, that one's I think you know 14 years old. Ugh, it's crazy. Um, it's really crazy. But anyway, I think I think what helps them is, on the one hand, Tetsuya Nomura, who's the, sort of the lead creative on Kingdom Hearts, seems to love the f- series and puts a lot of thought into it. Um, right. I, 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 also, Disney had a pretty long stretch of not well-regarded franchises from the post-release of Kingdom Hearts 2 till about 2012. So, right. So I think there was a stretch there, maybe it was 2011... Maybe even 2010. I forget when Tangled came out. But really, it was Frozen where they kind of fully booted their new renaissance and have had hit after hit after hit again. Um, So I don't even know that the franchises were there. Had they released Kingdom Hearts 3 in 2012, it would have probably been a very different game with a lot more maybe deep cuts. And I like Disney deep cuts. I I think this game is probably going to be very heavily weighted towards the current lineup of recent films and, and that's kind of a bummer sometimes i'd like to see some older worlds maybe like robin hood or um rescuer something like that and i'm sure there will be because they always tend to get a good mix but i think now they're in a position to have a lot of people a lot of worlds gaming and non-gaming fans would be excited to explore um and i, I think 2018 isn't completely unrealistic just given that they have had gameplay footage for going on what three four years now since that first very short teaser at i think e3 2013 so right. it could be i mean the game looks far along from everything they've shown i think it just comes down to they might have the battle system they just need to finish making the worlds and the story so yeah, who knows 2018 might be not be completely unrealistic but i assume it's late 2018 that they're talking oh oh for sure for sure and that's fine though i mean you know anyway i, I think that 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 makes a lot of sense for them they definitely need to get something out uh, in that franchise relatively soon, or at least within the next two years, um, because it, I don't know, it's just been so long. They're a company like Nintendo that really marches to the beat of their own drum, um, and that's that, and that's just what they're going to always do. So That's true. I mean, and the same can be said for Disney, who, you know, own the market so they can do whatever they want. Right, although their decisions seem to make a lot more sense. They, have, they seem to be a more disciplined company, if that's a good way to put it. Sure, yeah. Um but that was the biggest thing that came out of D23. There haven't been a whole lot of other announcements. This is something I thought was worth talking about. It's actually several months old, but I only found out about it like a week ago, and I hadn't heard you talk about it, but it is a remake that's coming to the 3DS uh, this fall, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology was announced a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I did see that, and when I, when I looked into it, um, I, I just... It, it, it basically just fleshes out the story a little bit more, and it's, you know, a little bit updated graphics. That's my understanding. Is, is it more expansive than that? It sounds like it. From what I was reading on is it's got full voice acting, uh, which is, you know, a big addition to a text-driven game. Uh, okay. And also they have, you know, new portraits, uh, updated graphics, which, you know, is what you'd expect from a remake. And they've added not a full new timeline, but there is a third timeline, which kind of adds episodic what if it you know scenarios to a lot of the different choices you would have made in the original campaign okay well that's cool i guess i you know that game for me 
it, I can't imagine playing it again. I, I'm bad about that in general, though. The idea of playing through, you know, a 60, 45 to 60 hour RPG a second time when there's so many great games out there in this, in this you know, era of gaming, it, it, it seems very low on my list of priorities, but I don't know. How about sure. you considering no, it? I, I wouldn't realistically replay it unless it got rave reviews over the new content. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's a game that got overlooked when it first came out. Sure. And it's worth mentioning that this is coming to 3DS. It's a beefed-up version. If you haven't played Radiant Historia, it really is one of the best JRPGs to come out of someone other than... Well, actually, <laughs> Square Enix hasn't had that many great ones. But it's one of the best JRPGs of the last ten years. And I mean, For sure. It's worth It's a playing. really good game. It's really interesting, and it does something that, um, you know, in RPG form that a lot of other games that people like, even that are coming out right now... Are doing um you know like games like life is strange and a lot of the telltale games and um quantum break and and just you know the, the whole time travel concept um and what's really cool about that game is you'll come to a roadblock in one of the timelines and then all of a sudden you'll have to like go explore another timeline to get information that you'll then need it reminds me very much of life is strange because in that one, you can rewind a conversation after you basically, like, somebody tells you off. They're like, hey, you don't even know my name. And then you're like, you don't know their name. So you're like, yeah, I'm sorry. And they're like, well, it's, you know, Nicole Watson. You know, you suck. And then you can rewind and say, hey, Nicole Watson, what's up? And then they're like, wow, you know, now now you can be friends. Um, and, you know, and so that concept was, you know, was it 10 years ago? How long ago? Was it six, seven years ago? Radiant Historia? Oh, it would have been probably around six or seven. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, they were really ahead of their time with that concept. I mean, of course, time travel's been done in any number of ways, but there's just a couple, you know, recent touchstones that remind me of of that mechanic, and and it really employs it well. It does, yeah, but just worth mentioning, if you haven't played it, it's worth looking into this new version, Uh, because I remember when it it came out, the last one, it was super expensive to get a copy for a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure this one will be superior in every way, unless they totally uh, drop the ball on the voice acting, and and it's terrible. Yeah, but... That's it for non-E3 news. Again, it's post-E3, so there's not a lot coming out. But some, some Kingdom Hearts is a big deal. So Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, cool. Um, well, I guess let's talk E3. Uh, I am excited to dive into that. And I think, uh, well, first of all, let's just talk real quick, very briefly, about overall thoughts about the convention. Uh, or or the, the, the week and a half of news conferences, or whatever you want to call it at this point. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. I found it to be a pretty disappointing E3 overall. Mm-hmm. Um, it Nothing really blew me away. Um, not to a point of being something that was both exciting in and of itself and in a state that looks like it's coming out anytime soon. Because there were right. exciting things, and I'm going to mention them. Um, one big one in particular, but, you know, this game's probably not coming out for another two, three years, so it's hard to be that excited. Um, right. Alternatively, it just none of the conferences really blew me away or were that exciting. There was a lot of um either in some cases like Sony repeating of games we'd already seen a lot over the past year or in the case of uh, Xbox announcing a lot of stuff um that looks interesting but you know it's hard to be none of, it didn't feel like uh, Microsoft had their their big franchises and when I say that, I mean Halo or Gears of War. There was nothing from like their top-tier hitters that I felt that excited about. Um, and then the Switch was exciting, but God knows when I'll get one of those. So it's hard to be excited there. 
Uh, Bethesda's conference was a weird midnight show that didn't... Re- I mean, it, it had all of the sequels you would expect Bethesda to be working on. Right, uh, right. Honestly, I think Ubisoft had one of the stronger showings, just in, in general, of getting to show off a lot of stuff um, that they're working on. Because Ubisoft is... Like, if they if they wanted to release a console, they'd have the franchises to make exclusive to just really blow it up. You know, I never even thought about that concept. That's definitely true. Um, they are, like, the one company. I think they're, they they fluctuate between the second and third, or at least a couple years ago, fluctuated between the second and third largest video game company in the world. Um, I think that's, you know, something that, in you know, when you start looking at other factors like free-to-play and mobile games and stuff, that's probably changed to some extent. But certainly in the console space, they're, they're two or three. Um, and they put out some of the biggest franchises every year. They're a huge, huge, huge company. Um, that I always enjoy their games. They've gotten a little samey lately, a lot of them. Yeah, but I, um, I think they, they if, again, this is all weird hypo- hypotheticals, but, I mean, if they wanted to, they could robust, they could, you know, they're working to vary their games. Uh, you know, one of yeah. them obviously looks fairly different from how it looked before that we're going to talk, maybe talk about a little um, with Assassin's Creed. And then if they, honestly, my big wish for them is that they bring back UbiArt games because those games were gorgeous and unique and... yeah. It's been three or four well, years since the last one. I mean, I like them as well. I really liked, uh, obviously, um, Child of Light. I, I more more importantly, the Rayman games. Uh, Rayman Legends, in particular, is a, is an absolute masterpiece of the platformer genre. Um, I actually revisited a little bit revisited it a little bit recently and was again blown away. That game never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Um, so those are the ones that I think of. Are there any others in particular that I'm leaving? Valiant out? Hearts is the other big one. Oh, right, right. The one I didn't want to want to read because of the dog. <laughs> I mean, watch because of the dog. Yeah. Or play. Watch, play. Anyway. Um, so for me, my take on the uh, on E3 was I enjoyed it a lot. I tend to get caught up in the hype and allow myself to a little bit more than some people have gotten more cautious and don't allow themselves to get as, as hyped up about certain things like Anthem, for example. And you know, a lot of people are saying it's unrealistic and, and et cetera. Uh, I look at that and I just think, wow, look at what, look where the video game form has gone. Um, and, and it's just, it's just amazing when I see some of that stuff, if it comes even 85% to that point, um, it, it'll be mind blowing. Um, you know, as far as all the different conferences, I think I've heard some very smart people recently say that it's really not, they're not really press conferences anymore. They're, basically sizzle reels or, 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 you know, a stream of trailers and you can sure. experience them better at home than you even could there. And of course, E3 conferences have always had, press conferences have always had, you know, a lot of trailers, but they also tend to have things like Microsoft had to some extent, like having, you know, a, a shoutcaster off to the side talking, but that was actually one of the big fails of this year's <laughs> convention. But regardless, you know, they tried. Um, or having like people dangling from the ceiling—that was Microsoft, right? Um, huh. And then there was also like the, the the premiere of the Porsche. I love Porsches, but I, I could really care less about that. But I mean, at least they they tried to do things that had some showmanship involved. And you know, when you look back at some of their other events that they've done, like in the past, and given everybody things that light up green, so that when you look at it from an aerial view, the whole place just like glows green. Um, that stuff's cool. I mean, obviously they announced. Um, their new console, the Xbox One X. I think Scorpio's a way better name, but whatever. Um, and so that was, you know, I guess big news. It's really going to be interesting to see, and time will tell, whether the PS4 Pro and the Scorpio, I, I wish I could call it that. I think I, I, think I will. Um, but the Xbox One X, um, to see if, it, you know, what, t- what portion of the market share they get. 
Um, PlayStation currently says that one out of every five PlayStations they sell is a pro. Um, for me, as a person who's, you know, pretty early adopter of technology, I mean, I got Switch on day one, and, you know, I got all the consoles within a month or two of them coming out, um, but I don't have a pro. I don't have a 4K TV yet. Well, it's, it's really hard to justify it. It's hard to call it a full step up. I mean, you, you don't, you didn't immediately get a new, a Nintendo 3DS XL, did you? Certainly not. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a... It's a half step, and there are things they're they're touting as being exclusive, but it's not like they're fully, you know, taking it and having exclusive PS4 Pro games. Not at all. In fact, that's like the big thing they're saying to comfort everybody is these consoles will never have games that are exclusive to them. I I, I know I know PlayStation has said that, and I believe Microsoft has gone as far as to say that. I mean, every obviously there'll be games that are optimized for those systems and take advantage of those quote-unquote features but to me i mean i i just don't think resolution increase in fact i can i i know that a resolution increase isn't going to improve my gaming experience and so yeah draw distances and you know i i want to say even having more you know items on screen at one time but even that is something they kind of can't do if they want to keep it compatible with the with the core hardware yeah i think you know to go with our you know Oh, at this point, episodic mention of former co-host Tim. You know, he talks about the the PC future, uh, or at least the PCification of consoles. I think that's the direction they're going, where it's like they don't want to lock people out, but they do want to keep incrementally advancing the hardware because that's how fast things happen these days. Um, so you know, it's true. Every couple it's of true. years, if they if they boost it without fully abandoning a previous generation in some way, I think that gets trickier as time goes on. And they probably will eventually announce a new generation. Um, but for now, I, they don't have to, so they aren't. But it yeah, doesn't make me I mean, want to get a Pro. No, certainly not. And the Xbox One X is even more expensive. So another big piece of news was that it's going to be $500. Now, the tech inside certainly justifies the price. The problem is, at that point, A, you're close to a gaming PC. And B... Um, there's just it's very much diminishing returns and for in terms of what you'll get because you're always going to be hamstrung and held back by the fact that these games have to remain compatible with the core hardware and so you'd be much smarter to buy you know i guess like a steam box not that i've looked into those very much or you know a, a, a an 800 dollar dell gaming pc with like a 1080 non-ti video card yeah um it's there's there's it's just a better option and then for vr when that's coming around i mean it's here but when that really becomes a thing that if and when that becomes a thing that you have to have, um, a gaming PC is going to be a million times better for that. So it's 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 really it's really hard to justify once you start creeping up into the five hundred dollar range. Yeah, and then add tax to that, and you're at like five fifty, five sixty for your console that plays games you can play for a two hundred on a two hundred fifty dollars system. So it's uh, it's it's tough. When I get a four K TV, I'll probably get one or the other years from now. You know, sure. But I I, I can't see I can't see buying one anytime soon. All right, well, let's get into our specific uh, specific details. Um, I'm going to go first. Hit it up. And I am going to say that my and, – and a lot of people have mentioned, you know, the 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 announcements that Nintendo made as, you know, a huge deal. And every, a lot of people say Nintendo won the show, even though Nintendo did not have a traditional press conference. They did what they always do, their Nintendo Direct. They had kind of an E3 Direct followed by a Treehouse Live, which is where they kind of go – in depth further on certain games and show you like 20 minutes of gameplay 
Um, and it's been really working for them because a lot of, you know, imagine how much less investment they have to have and how much less money they put out not having a traditional press conference. Now, they do a huge floor show still with uh, this year. I mean, excuse me, this time it was Odyssey. Last year it was um, Legend of Zelda. But, I mean, they're just doing a video that goes on the Internet and it's getting more buzz than a lot of the press conferences did. So, you know, they're, they're, they're smart. They know what they're doing. And, in fact, that is my, my number one takeaway from E3 um, is that Nintendo finally changed their tune, in my opinion. Um, a lot of people are still skeptical, and for good reason, because people have been burnt for many, many, many years. But to me, I see a, a seismic shift in the way Nintendo is approaching the gaming audience. And what that comes down to is they are being transparent for the first time maybe ever. Um, they are finally letting us know what's coming past the, the year that we're in. And they're giving us hope and knowledge about the fact that franchises that were that gamers are angry, quite frankly, about not having on you know a, a, an entry in for many years are coming. So the big announcements that we had were Metroid Prime Four. Wow, right? And it's not. It's gonna. It's a couple years off still, um, and it is being developed not by um, the the uh, what is that? What do they call retro? It? It just slipped my mind. Retro. Um, it's not being developed by Retro, but the develop excuse me, but the director from that did the Retro uh, Metroid Prime one through three is on this project. We don't know exactly who the developer is, but needless to say, it's it's early still, and that's what makes this announcement crazy. Though is that Nintendo never amounts stuffs early like that, but instead this time they were like, you know what? What does it hurt us to let gamers know that we give a shit? To let gamers know that we actually care that they're pissed that Federation Force wasn't a real Samus featuring Metroid game. Why don't we throw them that bone? Another example, they're doing Return of Samus. Now, a lot of this is centered around Metroid and how happy I am to get those back. Um, I, Metroid there's nothing Castle, wrong with that. Um, no, not at all. That's, at that's all. one of my three games, so I might as well mention Metroid Samus Returns, sure. which looks amazing. Uh, it's a 2D Metroid game, which there hasn't been in, again, over a decade. Uh, so I'm very excited to see this, and you know, it looks like, like it's a full-on, you know, recreation of this game and adding so much and new features and just, you know, it's a game most Nintendo fans probably haven't even played, even, you know, if you are a Metroid fan, just because of when it came out and on what system. Exactly, and and not to mention, it also, and this, go, this, this goes in with the theme I'm talking about, it also explains why Nintendo shut down another Metroid 2 remake. Um, it wasn't just a spite move or just a, you know, a move that that doesn't consider or or care about its fans. It was because they're coming out with their own another Metroid 2 remake, and that would be a huge conflict of interest for them. So at least it softens the blow of you know they do things that are kind of fan unfriendly, like tell people they can't use footage on YouTube and sue people, shut down fan projects. Yeah, I those mean, are the kind of things. It, like to me, it's like it worked out, but I don't think they wouldn't have not shut it down if they hadn't been making this game. We don't know, but um, I think you're right. There's been a track record of them shutting a lot of things down. So so that's that probably has credence. But at the same time, at least this one has a reason behind it. So that's another little little point or half point in, in the Nintendo column. Also, the new Pokemon game that's been announced. They're going to do a mainline Pokemon RPG on the Switch. Everybody, so, so about a couple months ago, they had a, a direct, and it was going to be about Pokemon, and they announced, uh, what, Ultra Moon and Ultra Sun, or what, is, what are they called? Yeah, Ultra Moon, Ultra Sun. 
Um, and so they're, but they're not, and everybody's like, oh, it's going to be, they're going to be on Switch and they're going to call it Pokemon Stars. And there was all this hype. And then that didn't materialize. Instead, they're going to be on 3DS. A lot of fans were bummed at the time. But instead of just letting them remain bummed and just hope they sell enough Moon and, Moon and Sun anyway, which they will, yeah. of course, um, and and just sort of let it ride, and then one day, after two years of belly aching, finally announced the Pokemon mainline RPG for Switch, instead they said, you know what, we're working on it. It's coming in two years, you know? And why not do that? And so those are things, and then there's a couple other examples, right? Star Fox 2 on the SNES Classic. This this was announced after E3, but it's just another example of Nintendo doing non-traditional stuff. Like, former Nintendo would not bother. Star Fox 2 would have stayed buried. That's a game that was completed. At least they had the foresight to complete it, and then they decided not to actually release it because they decided that the games that use the FX chip weren't going to be brought out anymore for SNES because they were moving towards the 64, yada, yada, yada. And so those games all got buried, but Star Fox 2 was the furthest along, and they decided to finish the localization and get it done, and Miyamoto has long said I'd love to see that game come out one day. But how un-Nintendo-like is it for that to be included on the SNES Classic, right? No, I mean, it's a it's a great thing and a big deal for Star Fox fans who have been kind of put upon. I, I, actually, I guess they got Star Fox Zero. I don't know how, I don't think that was super well-regarded. Yeah. It was also no, on the not. Wii U, which nobody owns. The problem is they got really creative um, slash weird with the controls, and the motion control was integral and, you know, a weird type of... You know, remember that game Brothers where you had to control, like, both brothers at the same time? Mm-hmm. It was it was, it was was a concept like that where you had to, like, use the motion control and regular controls at once, and it's just overly complicated, to, and it doesn't it doesn't give you anything. Obviously, Brothers has, a, you know, a very impactful ending based on the fact that you're controlling both of them. This didn't seem to have any justification for why they overcomplicated it. And so there are a couple diehards that are like, eh, it was really cool once you learn how to use it, like people always say about weird control schemes. But generally speaking, people maligned the control scheme and said the game overall was just okay. Yeah. So anyway, that's my uh, my number one um, and takeaway from E3 was that Nintendo has changed their tune, apparently, in parentheses. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, Samus Metroid Returns was a big one for me just because I love 2D Metroidvania-type games. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I'll go with the one I, I alluded to earlier, which is a game that I am inherently excited about, but who knows when it's going to come out, which is the game that Ubisoft ended its conference with, Beyond Good and Evil 2. Right. Uh, a, a different Beyond Good and Evil 2 than it was announced previously. Sure, yeah. I mean, this is a game that was first at E3 in 2008, which I couldn't even believe it had been that long. Uh, was that when we saw that trailer? The the roadside trailer, yeah. No way, it hasn't been that long. Yeah. I was... Nine years ago when we saw the, the Peach um, uh, looking like a, like, a, like a real pig? Yeah. Oh wow! There's no way. Are you sure? Yeah, I looked it up. I was I was very oh stunned because it was the following year there was leaked footage of a seeming playable version of whatever they were working on. Um, right. But yeah, no it it's it's been, it's been a hot second since that came out. That's unbelievable. Um, so that was the uh the the big announcement, and it's a great trailer. I mean, it's a short film on its own. Uh, it's got a monkey, you know, stealing from this pig crime boss and then shooting through the city with this woman uh, on these on a jet bike. And it's just it's a crazy fun looking steampunky type world that fits with everything we've seen from Beyond Good and Evil in the past. It's a prequel. It's going to be a much op- more open um, shared world, a little bit experience from what it sounded like. Again, it's hard to say because there hasn't been any gameplay. 
Um, but it does sound like it's fairly far along from everything that they've said about it. Um, and it's just ex- Have you seen... Well, it's just exciting to see that this game exists. It was exciting seeing Michelle Ancel on stage, you know, tearing up over this game he's been trying to get made for over a decade. Um, And so, yeah, like a lot of people, I'm a huge fan of Beyond Good and Evil 2, or Beyond Good and Evil, and what it did in storytelling and gaming at the time of its release, and just how solid it it was then. How solid it is now, because I've been replaying it recently uh, with the HD remake, because I was excited about this. So it's it's just exciting to it see holds that up. game. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, another thing too, I don't know if you know about this, but they um, um, Ansel released a video of him wa- doing a walkthrough of like very 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 early gameplay, and it's really interesting, really rough looking, but really cool. So the idea of this game is that it's you know because he's such a big thinker, he thinks big. And one of the ideas that he has for this game, or the core idea, is that you can leave a planet, fly up into outer space, and land on another planet that's fully realized and fully interactive, and, and the gameplay will just continue, and and it's totally seamless. So the whole world basically has to be, I guess, I'm not a huge tech guy, but stored in RAM, where they have to somehow have a way to discreetly load new areas without you being able to tell. So the tech is insanely ambitious on this game. And, I, you know, that's worrisome to a lot of people because, you know, an undertaking like that, while it will be mind-blowing when it comes out, we've already waited so long for this game. And, of course, I'm willing to wait as long as we have to to get a brilliant game. But at the same time, it's going to be – it's a little bit daunting. I mean, if you you got to watch that video, Jordan. It's 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 insane what, it, what they're going for. Well, I hope it works out. Um... Me too. That is for sure because if it does, wow, right? Yeah, uh, so that was my second one. Um, okay. But yeah. Um, so my second one is... Um, okay, so my second one is the one which is half positive, half negative. Um, so like I said, I'm an optimist when it comes to um, a game like Anthem. Um, Anthem is the game that blew my mind the most at E3, um, at, like a lot of people. Um, of course, there are some people that are skeptical and are saying that there's no way that game will be that amazing looking. There's and 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 that like basically Mass Effect Andromeda looked amazing also, and then look what happened with that. Um, but to me, this is the game um, from the director of the Mass Effect first two games and, and most of most of the uh, uh, third one, um, Casey Hudson. Uh, he moved on to this project like four or five years ago. I mean, they've been doing this project for a while. And really, a lot of the gaming world is moving towards this concept of games as a service. And Anthem is their shot at that. Um, I know that Bioware puts everything behind their projects when they want to make something succeed. Um, the Old Republic is a great example of that. And everybody thought it was going to be a huge flop because they just spent, what was it, $100 million, something stupid on that game. Yeah. And it didn't do it didn't do as amazing as maybe they expected. I think over time they recouped their money and then some. But from all accounts, that's a great game. That's fully realized and expansive and amazing. And so I never got into that one because the MMO space is always daunting to me. Um, plus, I like to play more than one game. And if you play an MMO, that's kind of all you play. Um, but this one looks, I mean... Getting in the mech suit, I'm not the hugest mech fan, but whatever, I'll just consider it like a different character class, right? And then you just go out on a mission and you explore this amazing environment and you can just go from the air to the ground and then you can just shoot underwater and then you're just discovering these areas. So it it, it seems to be like Destiny version 3.0 because we've seen what Destiny 2 is looking like it's going to be and it's very much like Destiny 1, but, but, you know, finally 
you know realized um this looks like next level from that um and if they now the big question is can bioware integrate their storytelling into this shared world shooter um that's always a challenge destiny is a masterpiece in my mind at least taken king and after but story has always been a struggle and it looks like destiny 2 is going to be no exception it's still just a kind of a little story that you know it's very hard is the point and, and I'm really excited to see what Bioware does in the shared world shooter space and to see if they're able to get storytelling across. All right, I, I, what do you think of uh, Anthem? Um, I, You know, I, it's a couple of things. One, it's, it inherently looks fun and looks like a fun time to play. So everything about what it looks like looks great. So, I, I you know, everything else comes down to I've never really loved a Bioware game. Um, uh-huh. They've never been my favorite developer, which isn't to say they're bad. It's just across Dragon Age and Mass Effect, and um, I think the la- the one I really like is Knights of the Old Republic. And again, that's a pretty old game at this point. And Sonic um, Chronicles, yo, that is true. They made that. <laughs> it was a yeah. Um, but you know, so so inherently, they've never been one where I think they're 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 not an intrinsically exciting company to me. Um, beyond that, a big problem for E3 this year for me was just how many games were shared world or, you know, always online, connected to other people type games, which I don't inherently hate, but it was a lot of games where it's like, I'm, I, it's harder to get excited about those games where you have to interact with other people or uh, be part of this world and take part, or to see everything, like the raids and the end content, you have to start grouping up and do things. Because I, I'm inherently someone who likes to game alone or with one or two friends, and so having to potentially get in those big groups or to see everything is daunting. Or at least to the point, even if there is a lot of single-player content, it's a bummer to miss out on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so between this and I know there was one other game like this um, that also started with an A, I think, and now I can't remember uh, what it's called. I can't either. Um, and then, you know, both pirate games that came out were multiplayer or shared world, which was a huge bummer because I just want a good pirate game since, I mean, Black Flag fits that. And this is essentially where they're taking the, the Black Flag ship stuff. It's just, they've made it pretty much a multiplayer focused game. Right. Um, right. And that, that is, that is, it just seems, it just seems small to me. And the same thing with Sea of Thieves for the Xbox. I, I, I can't see myself digging my teeth into that. Even when you go on a quest and you have a treasure map and you bring your boys with you. Uh, again, we're talking about having to bring your boys or girls with you um, and, and go on a mission. It, it it just doesn't look fleshed out. By, by it, their very nature, games like that. And, and I make a big distinction, by the way, between things like Destiny and Anthem and things like Sea of Thieves and Black Sails or Dark Sails or Dark Bones or what's it called? Dark. Uh, skull and Bones. Skull and Bones, right, right. There's like 15 pirate properties that all have similar names. Crossbones, and oh, it's ridiculous. Um, but anyway, you know, those games, they're much shallower to me than a Destiny is, even from a story perspective. At least in a game like Destiny, and, and I'm sure in Anthem, you can dig deep and learn about the lore. It may not all be presented to you. The best games, I think, when, when, the, when the genre and when the form evolves, it will be revealed to you. But for right now, you have to kind of dig for the lore, but at least it's there. At least if you want to dive in, it's there. With Skull and Bones, I can't imagine there's going to be anything I give a shit about story-wise. Or, or, and if there's not a good story, then I feel like the world suffers, even from a multiplayer perspective. Yeah. So, uh, that that kind of, wrapping it back to Anthem, I if, if there is one I'm going to try, it, it would be this, or I might even jump in. Because Destiny was fun. I did play Destiny for a while, but I got to that point, and this was pre, I think, even Iron Throne? Or what's that first one called? No, no, the Taken first game. one... 
The Taken King, yeah, that was a year later, yeah. So I, I played it back then, and I enjoyed it, but it was definitely, even then, there's a lot of content you get locked out of for not having those first two expansions, and then there's a lot of raids or things where, and you know, I've heard they're fantastic, but again, you need a group to play through them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but you know, I, I remember when, when you and I and Kelsey and um, Adam played Borderlands, and, and you know, it looks like Anthem is going to be a, you know, three-person fire teams or whatever they call them are going to be a thing. So that could be really fun with, you know, me, you, and another person. Yeah, and I'd be um, down for that. Um, in theory, it's just I want to uh, see what, I mean, you know, ultimately I want to see what the game is like. Right. Before. And hopefully it'll... Hopefully it'll be interesting. Um, the other part of this positive-negative equation was... So that one blew me away. Crackdown 3 was hilariously bad, in my mind. I think that... I'll probably play it. I'll play the single player, you know, just because it's a single player game and it'll be interesting to play. But I just can't believe how much of a letdown that was on so many levels. One big level is they all have been talking about for years and years. Cloud compute, cloud compute, cloud compute. All of our calculations are going to be done in the cloud, which allows us to have destructible environments unlike any you've ever seen. Well, at this E3, they announced the single player, and they showed us the single player. And guess what? It doesn't use cloud compute at all. Nor does it have destructibility at all. So it's basically, if you want, like, the core game... Oh, oh, and by the way, the single player campaign, not made by the Crackdown developers. It's it's been It's been outsourced. So it's just... Uh, an addendum to this game the real game is a multiplayer and i mean competitive multiplayer there is also co-op but that's part of that campaign stuff that is not you know the the real tech and then let's push all that aside expectations out of it the graphics look bad and i don't care i'm not a graphics not i'm more of a graphics person than i think maybe you are definitely but but i'm definitely not a person who has to have like a masterful looking it doesn't have to look anthem good for me to really enjoy it I, I was honestly happy with late-gen Xbox 360 graphics, and if it all looked as good as Black Flag on 360, I would have been fine. But at a certain point, every game at E3 looked better than Crackdown 3. Every single one. And I just see these characters, and they, their edges looked like... I mean, it looked like a PS2 game. I mean, almost. Uh, let me take that back. It looked like an early 360 game. Um, it didn't look better than Crackdown 2, that's for sure. So it looks like Crackdown. <laughs> yes, but, but, but not... I, I don't know. I was incredibly disappointed by it. I think it's hard to be disappointed when you have no expectations, and Crackdown 2 is such a abysmal game that yeah. th- that it, if this breaks even, I'm okay with it. I've been playing a lot of open world, you know, as we'll get to. I've been playing open world games where it's really just there to kind of be a checklist to complete. So, yeah. you know, if it's good at that and it's fun to play, um, you know, I've actually heard some good buzz from people who got to actually play the playable build of the campaign. Okay. What did they say? Um, just that it uh, is actually a lot of fun to play. It, it does a good job of making you feel like a, a super-powered character in a GTA-type world. Um, okay. So, you know, if it's inherently fun, because hopefully, even if the single-player con- campaign is weird or, you know, outsourced, it, the core gameplay is hopefully there. So if it's a fun game to play, it might not matter too much. I mean, look, this is not yeah. a game I'm buying day one, unless it right. somehow blows away all expectations and gets rave reviews. But for its campaign, uh, but right. you know, in a in an Xbox game sale or once it's discounted, Crackdown. I like Crackdown one a lot it, for what it yeah. was at the time. It's just a, I even played two almost through. Yeah, so 
you know, if Crackdown 3 is decent, I'll be happy. But yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. It, it didn't blow yeah. anybody away, I don't think. I was just surprised at how many years it's been in the gestation. And um, it, 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 it just doesn't look like it. It looks like a game that somebody started working on last year. Um, it needs like two more years in the oven. It's it's crazy. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll play it. But man, it was it was. Woo. What's your third man? <laughs> uh, my last one, and this one surprised me, um, because it, there were a lot of really weird, interesting games that came out of E3 that that did surprise me. Um, I know you're you're you you were disbelieving, but honestly, something like Madden NFL having a surprisingly good-looking story mode excites me. Uh, <laughs> even if, yes, I have to play the football to see that story. It has echoed in my mind a little bit since you told me that. Uh, I was thinking about it a little more and a little more. Um, and the one thing that reverberated from what you said was the idea of it's something new. Um, because it is true that as I play a bunch of games, even I'm about to start Horizon, and I look at like like videos about what you need to know before starting, and, and man, it looks a lot like Far Cry, and it looks a lot like uh, Just Cause. And I, I've heard that it's better than all those games in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it's very samey. And there's a lot of samey content out there. And as I play more games, I'm finding that out more and more, that something different is important. Now, and while that Madden is probably still not going to get my attention or money, I understand that sentiment. Yeah, but Madden is not the, the third game. Um, the third game is one that I started when they first started announcing it. I was just like, this is this is ridiculous. What even is this? Because nobody even knew what it was until they had finished announcing it. Uh, but by the end of the trailer, I was sold. And if, you know, again, I'm not buying a Switch anytime soon, but Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle looks amazing. Does it? Um, have you not seen anything on it yet? Oh, oh I absolutely okay. have. I'm just wondering your take. I... I mean, I love SRPGs, and, you know, it's one of the few genres Mario hasn't been to yet. Um, true. And everything I've heard is that this is definitely a passion project, much like Michael Michelle Ansel, the, the head developer for this, the guy who this is the brainchild of, was tearing up in the audience, seeing it realized yeah. on the stage. With Miyamoto up there, he, he freaked out. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, Miyamoto showing up shows that Nintendo, you know, wants this to be a success as much as Ubisoft probably does. Um and it just looks like uh, a really fun time. I mean, it looks like a, a slightly unique Mario-fied version of SRPG tactic games. Um, a lot of cool things like the warp pipes. And I think the best Mario spinoffs integrate Mario elements in new creative ways. And this looks to be yeah. that. Um, it just looks like a fun time, which is what I expect from a cool, kooky Mario spinoff game. And as much as I'm not a huge fan of the Rabbids, given how they stole Rayman's spotlight for years, um, yeah. I think they fit the world and the tone of this story. So I'm really surprised, but like, if you haven't checked out the trailer and the gameplay footage, uh, this Mario SRPG-style game looks really fun. Yeah, it looks like they've made a lot of really smart decisions. Um, one of them, for example, is you need a pointer um, when you're playing an SRPG, right? Um, and they have this little character who basically is your pointer on the screen. I mean, just really smart decisions were made in making this game, you know, what it is. So I'm really, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm certainly going to, it's definitely a day one purchase for me. I also like how, um, how it's, you know, doing something, I, I, sorry, I got distracted. I also like the fact that Nintendo for the Switch is making sure they have a good game every single month coming out. Um, and so it was ARMS, which is actually good um, when you play it with somebody else. I played it over a friend's house. It was really fun. 
Um, this month it's Splatoon, which I'm pumped for. I, I was just about to listen to a podcast about the single player. Can't wait to hear what that's all about. Um, and then, you know, I think it's next month is Kingdom Battle, right? Yeah, I think. I'm pretty I sure it's August. On that. It's creeping up. It's really, really creeping up. Um, so I'm, I'm excited and, and, you know, as a, as a Switch owner and, you know, I, I, I know that for news that we'll discuss when we talk about what we've been playing here in a minute, um, you know, the Switch is maybe further out for you, but when you do get it, I think this will probably be a day one purchase, right? Yeah, yeah, that would be one of them. I mean, who knows how many games will be on the Switch by that point, I get one. Um. Right, right, maybe a couple years out still. Sure. But yeah, that would be one, you know, depending on the reviews again, it could end up, unfor- hopefully it's not, but it could end up not being well regarded. But I, I, I think it will be. I hope it will be. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, my final one, um, it kind of echoes some of the themes we've been talking about so far. And one of the most important ones of those um, is the single player concept. So it, with things like shared world shooters and this huge emphasis on multiplayer, right? If you look at the NPD numbers, any single-player game that comes out, with a couple exceptions, G- well, no, GTA is not an exception, because GTA's multiplayer is what gave it legs. But single-player experiences that are entirely single-player, like Prey and Dishonored 2, they're both arcane games, but regardless, they're really good examples of games that came out and they sold okay, number four, number three on NPDs for the month they came out, and then they, they kind of died on the vine. And there are certain games that beat that, like, I can't believe it, but uh, Automata or Automata, um, the near, the new Nier game, actually sold millions of copies and is doing really well. And there are games that are pushing through that, that, that multiplayer ceiling and, and really killing it and selling month after month. But they're the games that get the buzz. Um, if you don't get buzz and you're kind of, like, only considered okay, you, you, you just get lost. And so I'm really worried about the future of single player in a big way. And because of that, I'm really... My favorite thing um, about E3 probably overall was all the great single-player experiences we saw on display and the, and the idea that single-player is not dead. Um, and so Assassin's Creed Origins looks great. That new Metro game looks great. Days Gone will be fun. I'm not super pumped for it, but hey, it's single-player. It's a big deal. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey. Wow, that game looks good, right? Everybody raved about it. I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you've already heard all the accolades and Mario in his hat and all that. So whatever. It looks awesome. I'm definitely going to play it. Um, God of War. Wolfenstein 2. Evil Within 2. These are omens that single player is still alive and well. And that makes me really happy. Um, Yeah, I think. I, I've not been outright worried about single player just because I still. I mean, that's all I play a lot of the times is single-player games and i but i I definitely think there is that push towards multiplayer that happens with a lot of developers i I think it'll never fully go away because i think with a lot of uh indie development is always going to go either single or multiplayer that you know it's going to be a passion project so it's going to go one way or the other but i I do think there were a lot of strong looking single-player experiences origins looks really fun um so does a lot of the other ones you mentioned, and Wolfenstein is one I'm going to talk about in a minute with games I've been playing, but Wolfenstein 2 looks sweet um, and really solid story-based, uh, so I I can't disagree. I'm, I'm excited about a lot of the single-player content that is coming. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Very, very cool. All righty. Well, um, with that said, let's move on to our second uh, portion of the podcast, and that is the games we've been playing. And uh, let's do our best to get through these, Jordan, because we've got a lot. And um, I'd actually love for you to start with uh, the big news in Jordan's world. 
I wanted to save that because there there was a reason. I, okay, I, I, we can wait. Well, I, we can wait. We'll save it. Save it. Save it. All right, all right. But but it, it's coming. It's not. A, well, it's it's pretty exciting. It's, it's um, big to me. It's big to me for a lot of reasons, and uh, even bigger to you, right? Um, okay, so let's talk about um, some games we've been playing. I'll start. Um, I picked up Crash Bandicoot Remake. Um, this game is getting a lot of good buzz. Uh, I heard the developers talking about it recently on a Game Informer episode, Game Informer podcast, which is actually really good. Um, and the developer was basically saying it is a ground-up remake. They didn't use one piece of code from the original. They used the source material as, as inspiration, and it's obviously you know level for level recreated exactly as it was. But rather than trying to take the old code and, and up-res it and, and remaster it, they just had to do it from scratch. It was just too old. It needed a reboot. So they just did it all over again, and the game plays really, really well. I really enjoy playing it. Um, the first game I, is a little bit still challenging. They do things that make it more fun, like they have better, like less um, punishing checkpoints. You can play a level, and then if you die on that level, instead of having to go back three levels or wherever, like to wherever the last checkpoint was, you can restart that level and replay it as many times as you want. So that's a huge bonus, especially in that very... I mean, games used to be harder, let's face it, right? And... If you're going to recreate those games now, you need to do things. Taking out the difficulty would be a bummer because they're classic games for a reason. But giving you a way to experience it with less annoyances is great. That's something Zodiac Age recently is doing in Final Fantasy XII, I understand. It's giving you a fast-forward option so you don't have to just sit there and watch the animations go over and over again. And this one with the with those, with that aspect of, of, of checkpointing is great. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. The problem is I don't find myself wanting to turn it on again. So I really liked it, and when it first came out, I was excited about it and playing it, but now when I look at my list of games to play, it's never the disc I want to pop in. Um, so, I mean, what to take that as you will, you know? I mean, I, it's one I'd like to play, because I, I played the Crash Bandicoot games a lot when I first got a PlayStation. Um, and I just, uh, I think it looks gorgeous from everything I've seen on it. Uh, and I'm excited just by them talking and how well it is selling that they might actually make a new Crash Bandicoot game uh, for the first time in a long time. We're saying that a lot this episode, but a lot of stuff from like seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, yeah, well, it's cool. And also, even some of those later games are pretty um, bad. They, yeah, I mean, they're not they're not what this is. What this is very specifically is what excuse me what the Crash Bandicoot games were very specifically is you either go into the screen or you go towards the screen so you, it's not a side scroller there are side scrolling parts but they're very minimal generally speaking you're you're basically just and, and, and it was a playstation one game and they really loved this idea that you could do that now you could go like into the level in and in in it, and it, provi- it showed you the sense of space and they've also fixed little things like there's shadows now so like in the first game so when you jump you can see where you're going to land little quality of life differences that just just fix things just a little bit just enough to make it more playable yeah it's, it's, it's I, really good I, it's a great but yeah, I'd love to see a new game in this style even. I think that if anybody could make one, they now know the system and know what goes into making those levels, so they probably could create a new experience that fans would hopefully like. Um, and they've also talked about possibly updating uh, Crash... Um, and now I'm forgetting. Crash Team Racing. Um, because that's another one they've heard a lot of buzz and, and desire for. So I'd love to see yeah. that too, because that's a great game as well. Um, that would be straight. That would be really straight. But yeah. I would... Go ahead. No, no, I was just, I was just saying. But yeah, no, the, it looks like a great remake. It's getting great reviews, and it's selling really well. So I, hopefully, that means Crash will get 
more life in the future. Um, and hope maybe, maybe like a, a real Crash Four. Yeah, and maybe someone will give Spyro the same treatment. <laughs> right, right. These are both games that really, really could take off. Now I'll tell you something like Voodoo Vince that doesn't have the name recognition. That thing got lost. I never heard another peep out of that. It came out. I would like to play it. I just me too. It's there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what's your first game, man? Uh, well, the, I guess I'll, I'll go all the way back because the last game I, I really had played. Um, between the last episode and this one is Injustice 2 came out. Oh, right, right. Um, we made a weekend out of that one. Yeah, we had a big weekend. We played a lot of it, and uh, it's just, it's an amazingly solid fighter. Uh, NetherRealm knows what they're doing. You know, this is, I think, the fourth game out of their studio after two Mortal Kombats and the first Injustice. Yeah. Um, and it's really amazing, because after playing a lot of this, I went back and looked at Injustice 1, and it's a huge leap forward in visual quality and all that. Right. Um, and also gameplay and smoothness and all of that. Gameplay, right? smoothness, uh, spectacle. It's it's remarkably fun. It's very it's easy to pick up and and you know get a feel for. I mean, each character is different, and it, there's obviously elements of the gameplay that are more complex. Yeah. Um, but it does a pretty good job teaching you what you need to know, um, and and working you through some of the basic combos and explaining how its different systems work. Uh, the storyline is pretty phenomenal i've i've someone who really likes the injustice prequel comic that just wrapped up earlier last year into this year and is still going because they went from the five five year long injustice prequel to ground zero covering the first game and now they're doing an injustice 2 prequel comic so it's its own wow that's that's a whole other thing for like a comics episode but there is a whole fantastic dc elseworld that is just the injustice universe um and this game definitely feels more fleshed out in its narrative, you know, it feels like it's picked up on a lot of the writing that creators like Tom Taylor and Brian Bucoletto mm-hmm. have done to flesh out the world and, you know, uh, expand on elements. Um, so the story's really great. The multiverse gives a lot of challenges. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do with each character. It's just a very fully fleshed out fighting game. And if you like Mortal Kombat style fighters, um, you'll probably like Injustice 2. It's just a fun time with a bunch of great DC characters. Uh, the first DLC characters have... Co- the first one has come out. I think uh, Red Hood was the first. Sub-Zero is right around the corner, I want to say. he might. Is there any more that have been announced yet? Not yet, although the, the character select screen was updated, so a lot of them seem pretty set based on like the character portraits. Like It looks like the Atom is definitely in the game, and uh, Black Manta, uh, Raiden... So, you know, these are characters that are probably going to get announced, but haven't officially been announced yet. Sure, sure. Uh, what do you think about the, um, the maybe the most controversial or, or biggest overhaul, which is the uh, loot slash equipment system? It's it's kind of there. Um, you know, most online matches aren't going to consider it if you don't specifically tell it to. And, you know, for the multiverse, it gives little bonuses that'll help you with those events, but it's more just window dressing. You know, I don't think it does a lot to give the game extra legs unless you specifically want it to. Um, Yeah. Like, leveling up is important in as far as there are certain events in the multiverse you can't do with characters that are below a certain level. Right. But, like, once you get someone to 20, you can then pay to level them up or just keep playing with them to get better as them. Um, But I think it's done some cool things to keep it relevant. Like, they've had a lot of big weekly events... Um, one of the ones I did was they had a whole event based around, uh, the Wonder Woman release where you could get her movie armor piece by piece by doing the in-game events. 
Oh, wow. So that was neat. They had a whole week where you could play as Red Hood for free in a Red Hood exclusive event just to see how he played and see if you wanted to buy wow. him. So they've done a lot to, to make it accessible. And uh, it, it's not a game I've played a lot recently because, you know, fighting games, I'm not, I don't play fighting games competitively. Um, so it's the sort of thing where once all the DLC characters are out, I'll probably go back to it. But for now, yeah. it's just, I, I had a lot of fun with it, though, and we played the heck out of it. And it's definitely a game we I would sure play did. if um, I had people to play with, uh, since I, I, I don't know that we said official, I know we said it on a previous Joy of episode, but on gaming feed, because I know there's a lot. I recently moved to Kansas, so. The, Yay, Kansas! Uh, which is why I wasn't on the Spider-Man review, though you guys did a great job. It was nice getting to listen awesome. as a fan. Uh, Word. But yeah, so it, it's just not a game I'm dying to play right now but it is very solid and if you're a fighting game fan i think definitely play it awesome awesome um well my next game is a big one and it's one you've played as well so this will be fun to talk about and that is prey okay um i have been really really excited for this game um getting cautiously more and more and more optimistic um, about its you know uh, parallels and influence of bioshock on this game um and this game is very Bioshocky. I think even more than a lot of the critics and reviews have said it was. I find it to be tremendously influenced by Bioshock. Now, obviously, also System Shock. System Shock Two is is the more direct thing that's referenced as far as inspiration. But you know, for more modern gamers that haven't played those games, if you like Bioshock and you're a gamer like I am that likes to go through and search every searchable, lootable crate and open every unlocked door and get your hacking and your other abilities that let you access every little detail maxed out so that you can just like explore every nook and corner of a world and a pretty well-realized one. There are certain things about it that, that aren't as well done, but generally speaking, it's a really good world that's really fleshed out and realized well. Um, some of the real highlights of the game are the fact that... Um, well, let, me, let me just give a little, a little overview real quick. Um, so this is a game about a space station... Um, and uh, it is called uh, Type, not, not, what is it called? Um, uh, God, I can't believe it. I've heard them say it about 3,000 times. I know all the different things. Uh, something one, Talos one. Thank you. Woo. Um, you're on Talos one, this space station. Um, it's an alternate history, although that really doesn't matter that much as it turns out. Um, but it is an alternate history where um, John F. Kennedy was not assassinated. Uh, the space race continued, and these aliens were found uh, called Typhon. And they start studying them on this um, space station in the middle of space, right? Um, and they're these weird little, like, like uh, wiry creatures. They're, they're like, black, like, like a, mi a mix between maybe, um, like, uh, fog or black mist and, and kind of, like, spiders in a way. Um, and there's lots of different ones. There's little spidery ones that are called mimics that can take on the form of items in the world and scare you. There are phantoms, which basically is when a human is taken over by a typhon. And then it goes on up to much bigger ones, and the biggest one being called the Nightmare. Um, but basically, it has a lot of the same elements of Bioshock. For example, you can take pictures of the typhon. You use a little helmet, take pictures of them. Uh, you actually just scan them in this, kind of like Metroid Prime also. And you, you learn their abilities, and you can take some of those abilities and put them in yourself in this upgrading path called Neuromods. And there are these little things you can get a lot of in the game, and, and there's a big skill tree, and at one point it's, it's got three parts, and then it doubles to six, and it's just got all these different skills that you can upgrade, and you basically explore this ship. Now, they said you can explore any part of the ship at any point. That is true. There are certain areas that are going to be closed off to you, though. Um, it does have a critical path. Um, 
it does have side quests that open as you go. So it's more linear than I think they said it was. I, but you can't... Go ahead. From my from what I've seen, I think it's a lot of... It is open if you specifically want it to be, and you like very, very heavily focus what you're upgrading to access stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, you can, you can do like that. If you want to boost your hacking to four right away, you probably can get into a lot of certain areas that you might not otherwise, because there are a lot of things where it's just, this is a really high-level door, or there's easier ways to get there later in the game. Yeah, and I wouldn't recommend that. I would say bringing it to hacking four, you'll, you'll basically just spoil certain things too early in the game. Um, but I do like that it gives you that freedom. For me, it was just a theoretical freedom, though, because I really wanted to take my time with every part of this game. And it's a game that most people say is 40 hours max. I took, like, 65. Um, I played the shit out of this game. Oh, so you, um, you finished it up? I did. I finally finished it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it w- Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. I have a question. Yeah, so it was, it was actually, um, at times, a slog, but only in terms of... You have to kind of... It's hard. This is a, this is something I struggle with in media a lot, and that is there are shows like Arrow is a great example. If you want to enjoy Arrow, you gotta fight your way through the first thirteen episodes, and even sometimes in the middle of season two or in the middle of other seasons of other shows, you've got to push your way through some boring stuff for character development or plot points or the slow burn to happen to really get the impact at the end. The Affair is a show I recently watched, and it's like that. Um, certain episodes are really boring, but by the time you're at the end, you're like, oh my god, that payoff is amazing. So this game is like that in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I just explored every aspect of this ship. Um, another cool thing that's really great about it is that there are um, there's this intricate web of people, of, uh, uh, I guess you would call them crewmates, on this space station. And they're all intertwined. And the example all the reviewers give is that they play D&D together. But that's just one little small subset. The point is they all have relationships with one another. You find corpses and they have little audio logs. I mean, you can see how much this is like Bioshock. I mean, it is so much like it. And Bioshock being one of my favorite three games of all time, that really appeals to me. Um, The combat is... So everybody says the combat's really hard, especially early on. That is true. Um, the Typhon will kill the shit out of you early on. However, that changes instantly when you get alien powers and you unlock Psychoshock and Kinetic Blast. These two abilities are madly OP. With Psychoshock, every ability that the Typhon have, all their like special alien abilities, you just shut them down for 20 seconds. So basically all their offense, all their sneaking away from you, all their warping around just stops. And you just get to unload on them with your shotgun. It's awesome. Doesn't make the game too easy, but it is OP. If they were trying to make the game super challenging, like it felt in the beginning, Psychoshock undoes that completely. Kinetic Blast does Rex damage. Just Rex Typhon does tremendous damage. You, you, you hold down the left trigger, you point it at a place in the world, and it just sends out this blast of kinetic energy that just shocks and destroys stuff. Um, it's, 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 but it's really fun. And when you get more powerful and you start creating these neuromods, there's a great recycler where everything you find in the world can be like broken down into its constituent elements and then built back up into items, uh, like for anything from med kits to neuromods. You can basically, if you want to do enough grinding and, and finding items, you can basically have everything on the skill tree maxed out at a certain point, um, by making as many neuromods as you want. Um, I got about maybe three-fourths of the way through most of the skill trees. There's one that I neglected, but I was really powered up by the end. And that's really fun. Um, and then and then the, the story between the characters and the people you meet and their personalities are just amazing and excellent. And 
and and and your character Morgan Yu, who you're always kind of wondering, you know, there's got to be some secret here. There's got to be some big twist because the very beginning, like an hour in, you get a big twist that's a big reveal, um, and then you just keep waiting for the shoe to drop. And I had heard that this game has a really not great ending, and everyone's like, it's so disappointing, it's so disappointing by the end, and oh man, it ruins the whole game. Um, I didn't find that to be the case. Was that what you were going to ask? Yeah, because that's the thing I've heard, is that it's a terrible ending. Um, so I, it's actually a cake-and-eat-it-too ending, in a beautiful way. Um, they get to do the thing that people may think is terrible, and they get to give you a satisfying ending, in my interpretation of it, of course. And it'll be interesting to talk about it with you when you do finish. Um, I love that people told me the ending sucks, because that way I was really expecting a fucking bomb at the end. I was expecting a steaming pile of shitty ending. Um, and it wasn't that, not at all. Um, it was very quick, um, but everything you do does matter in this game in an interesting way um, that you may not even know, so be careful about what you do. I like the decisions. They're meaningful. They're interesting. Um, so it's a great game. Some of the downsides are the combat is a little janky, and, and even when you get the powers, it's, it's, it's not amazing combat, but neither was Bioshocks. You know, It's very similar. Um, the other thing is... Uh, the space station looks very alike. Um, so different areas have different ways. Like the Arboretum is very different, as it always is. Hint, hint, edge of time, right, Jordan? <laughs> um, and, and other things that they do to differentiate areas as a power plant area. But every area has these mirrors that, like, you can't look into, but they just, every time you look at the mirrors, they just, they look like the same art. And then, like, the bookshelves, they're everywhere, and they have the same fake books over and over again. So there's just certain environmental art that could have been better. That, and you'd think that's a small thing, but it's pretty damn important when it, when it totally blows the illusion that you're in, like, a living, breathing space station. I can honestly say I hadn't even noticed. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, I will again, now. Spend 65, hour, spend 65 hours there and tell me what you think, you know? Uh, I think I'm at 30. I don't even know. Oh, you're pretty far then. So tell me, uh, I talked a lot about it. Um, that's pretty much my exhaustive review. What are your thoughts? You're about halfway through. Yeah, it's very fun. It's very system shocky. Um, it it you know it's a play your way type of game, which I, I appreciate. Um, I don't know. The main reason I I was playing it a lot towards the beginning of June, or you know right after it came out, end of May, beginning of June. Um, and it, it just got to the point where you're going through the story, and I, I, I agree. I think the combat's not great, um, particularly given that I don't feel... The enemies, they, they, they tend to just be various forms of black, sketchy, spasming masses, mm -hmm. and, you know, they vary, yeah. but they're all, at the end of the day... It's sort of like my, my big problem with some of the Kingdom Hearts spinoffs is the Heartless just turn into these random assortments of polygons that just happen to look vaguely similar um and that that is the case with I, I think the enemies here where i usually it's like what color do they glow and that'll tell you what element they are or it'll you just read what their name is and it will tell you oh i know what it does now but it, it's a lot of they're not distinct character designs um the mm -hmm. the mimic looks pretty cool i think it's a solid simple design which i think yeah. they mostly get away from simple designs once you start getting to the bigger bads um uh, but really, the biggest problem is it gets to the point... Once you get access to more of the ship, it's a lot more of being able to go where you want. And and uh, really, the big problem is, especially uh, you know from what, what I've heard is worse on the Xbox One version, is it's extremely long load times, yeah. which just kills the flow. Um, especially, or especially when I have to go from, you know... I went and did a side quest, which led to being able to do that and unlock the Neuromod license and make as many as I want. 
um, assuming I have the materials. And then I just got where it's like, man, I got to go all the way back, and there's so many load screens. And, and then I was like, I'll do this later and turn the game off. And I just, excuse me, haven't turned it back on since. Yeah, well, the thing, the thing about that is, and especially at the end, another thing that really kills the flow and momentum of that game is it really needed a fast travel. It really did. There's no damn reason why, especially at the end. They could have just done some little thing in the fiction where you discover some item that gives you the ability to like warp from one place to another. With all the shit that that game gets away with, there's so many ways they could have done it. I think the closest they had say, was the airlock. Yes, but the yeah, the airlock, and then also the eventually you'll unlock the elevator ability. But even still, there's two to three level progress level transitions to get anywhere. Yeah, um, from one place to another, and unfortunately, that's not okay when they take a minute and a half to two minutes per transition, and that is straight up how long they take it. Maybe even longer on Xbox. Um, I'd say it's about a minute and a half on PS4, which I played on. Um, it is at the end, obviously, as you can imagine, once everything is unlocked. And you have to go everywhere, like, constantly. And there's Typhon everywhere. Like, get ready for fun. I mean, it is nonstop load times. Nonstop. I mean, you're right at the end game and you're making crazy important decisions and, and, and you know, the fate of everything. And, and you're waiting a minute and a half, three or four times between, you know, one big thing and, and the result of that big thing. I mean, it's just, it kills the, the dynamic. But again, if this is a technical limitation and it's the only way I can enjoy this game and have it feel like it does then I got to just, you know, deal with it, you know? Sure. So, I don't know. They probably could have made it better, especially fast travel. Like, let me go from the Arboretum down to the power plant. No. Why not? Yeah. I mean, you could just, in the fiction, assume I walked down there. Or at least give more elevators. I mean, there's a main elevator, too. It goes to three places, but, you know, right. it's a lot of loading. Um, the Did you unlock everything? Did you get, like, really in-depth about, like, wanting to read everything and see everything? Yeah, I mean, that was me. I was very much into every room. You know, I'm the loot looting type. Unlock every computer. Uh, yeah. Find every possible thing. I, I'm very much that way as well. Um, the uh, Honestly, it is the sort of game I'll probably go back to when I'm in that mood again. But I, I ended yeah. up being like, I want to replay. Uh, I want Or not replay. I want to finish a bunch of games that I had bought and started and just never got around to finishing. And so that's kind of what I decided to do and got away from Prey as a result. Well, let's hear them. All right. Uh, first two kind of go together. Um, it was a free game as part of Games with Gold. Uh, was Wolfenstein, the new order. Um, nice. I just picked it up, by the way, on your suggestion and with all the buzz. Yeah. Uh, and a big... Surprisingly, it wasn't the E3 trailer uh, that got me to want to play it. It was the... Um, Kotaku had an article about how it's, a, you know, just how well it holds up and how great of a game it is. And so I was like, you know what? I had played, I thought, <laughs> a significant chunk of it. It was like, you know, it didn't really blow me away. And so I decided, let me re-download it and start again. And it turns out, it just has a ridiculously long first level. Um, yeah. That is a lot of setup, because there is a very massive time jump at the end of the first level. Um, and the first level is like three stages, basically. It's just all called Chapter 1. Right. Uh, and then when you get there to the very end, you end up going to... Uh, I think it's about 12 years later. Basically, the conceit is the Nazis used super technology to win the war and take over the world. Which uh, is terrible. Yeah, and you play B.J. Blazkowicz, uh, and you just wreck stuff like a Wolfenstein game. And what's really interesting about this game, though, is that it is very heavily story-driven and very character-driven. Um, which How did they pull that off, considering his name is B.J. Blazkowicz? Black, Blast, Blazkowicz, whatever. They... 
I I don't know. They definitely play him up as as the you know standard kind of roughneck, but it's a lot of his inner monologue and a lot of fleshing out the characters that surround him and fill his world. Like they they don't they they do a good thing about making him kind of the beef the 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 beefy you know action hero, but they they take it a different way. They don't make him. I mean, he's not the smartest guy. They don't like try to make him a super genius. But he's very empathetic and understanding, and he cares about the people in his life. Um, they have these great um, three or four chapters that are just you hanging out at the ba- the the resistance base and helping people there and doing missions and having optional scenes with the other characters to talk to them and get to know them better. And it's just a lot of downtime, which I think a lot of action games definitely don't give you enough of so that you care about the characters. This really does that. It lets you get to know BJ and all of the re- resistance fighters. Uh, you feel his relationship with uh, another character that starts to develop. It gives you the context and backstory of all the resistance fighters. It's just surprisingly effective at telling a good story. Um, and it's, That's awesome. it's very daring and not always successfully. I don't know. It's one of those weird things. Cause there is definitely a scene where you, you go undercover into a, uh, concentration camp and he gets tattooed and it's just like, it's a very awkward take away your power and put you in a concentration camp. But you know, it's certainly ambitious. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say it's, I don't know how successful it is. I'm not, it's not my place to say, um, but it definitely tries things and it wants to be more than just a big dumb action center it wants to evolve wolfenstein and i think it's very successful at that it's setting up this world and this new continuity which in turn has me very excited to play the new order which looks to both evolve the story and the gameplay mechanics in interesting ways um the flip side of that is when i finished wolfenstein i went back and finished doom as well nice and which 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 was weird it's one of the, it's a very long game and that's one of those games where uh you and i both did the same thing probably very close to the same part where it's, it's, we love it, but we just stop playing it. Um, it's a lot of... I mean, it's very good gameplay, but, you know, once you've seen all of the demons uh, and it stops introducing new ones, it, you know, it, it's it's fairly samey. Once you have all the guns and you've kind of right. upgraded them the way you want to, it really That's just gets true. to be that there is more game. And, and fortunately, I think it, it it's maybe just a hair too long because I was actually only about two stages from the end. I was very oh, surprised okay. by that. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, so I was a little earlier then. Yeah. Uh, so I was at that point where it's like, oh, there's, there's there really wasn't much game left. I just I just stopped playing uh, for whatever reason. I forget. Probably another game came out and I started playing that. Sure. Um, but you know what? It holds up. It, it's still super fun. And it does the exact opposite of Wolfenstein. It's like, no, the story doesn't matter. Just go kill demons. That's the story of Doom. Um, and, you know, it, it lets them take what were admittedly two very similar franchises originally in terms of gameplay. Um and take them in new... They, they they each go in a different direction to further distinguish themselves. So, you know, now Doom just came out last year, so who knows when a sequel will come. I think it was successful enough for a sequel. Um, it definitely... Right now, it's still going by on some DLC and Snap Map stuff. I played some of that, too, and the Snap Map content is surprisingly good. The stuff wow. people can I make I heard that it that. was. Yeah. Um, so both of those old id properties that have just been given a complete revamp... Uh, I'd, I'd be excited for Quake if it wasn't a PC-exclusive multiplayer arena shooter, but I'm, I'm hoping that'll be good, too, just so, you know, all these id franchises can be back in the mainstream in a big way. But both Doom and Wolfenstein uh, are phenomenal at doing what they want to do in very unique ways and uh, revitalizing both franchises. Nice, nice, awesome. So you finished both of those and enjoyed them a lot, huh? I did, yeah. 
Um, well, I'll tell you what, that Wolfenstein, a lot of people say it was one of the, you know, their top five things for me three was that trailer i mean it is very ambitious like you said um and and the idea of just how well they're realizing this alternate history or this alternate yeah alternate history um seems just amazing and very creative there's some smart creative dudes and gals working on that game yeah so i'm i'm very excited for wolfenstein too awesome well i actually had um something kind of similar to get it going back and finishing some stuff um one of those things big one for me was The Wolf Among Us. Um, I really like Telltale games, and I was like, you know what, it's finally time. And also, like I told you about the sameness I've been experiencing a little bit, a little of that malaise and fatigue in gaming. So I, I, I was like, well, there's nothing more different than playing, you know, adventure games and um, the, the sort of, the only way to describe it is Telltale game. Um, of this sort of like adventure, dialogue-driven, choose-your-own-adventure video game type of game. So I did a huge deep dive on them. Uh, first, I did The Wolf Among Us. Um, that is, it, it's always been the one that grabbed me the most of all their games. Obviously, Walking Dead, the first one, is, is maybe their strongest, even still. I mean, it's a masterpiece. But as far as, like, the, the property that it's based on, uh, Wolf Among Us and Fables is definitely my favorite thing they've ever, you know, done their own version of. And I love it. I love Bigby. I love Snow White. That mystery ends up really, really, really coming together. Um, so much so that I actually ended up getting the graphic novelization, um, both versions of it. It's like 15, 16 episode issues. I was originally done as a web series, and it just went on and on and on. They really stretched it out and fleshed it out. Um, but there are things that are left kind of ambiguous by the end, and I have a feeling that when you finish it, Jordan, you're going to have the same inclination because it really makes you want to say, hmm, so they were vague in the game, but I wonder how they'll be that vague in the graphic novel. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. Like, I mean, I what it'll reveal. Fables, so I'm, yeah. I'm not too far off from wanting to get back and, and checking that out. I just haven't yet. Yeah, and so after I did that deep dive, and I really loved it, and I got really into it, and I played you know, it all the way through and just took it slow and enjoyed it, then I was like, I want to play more Telltale. That just happened. Um, so the next one I picked up was Batman, and I played that all the way through. And that is phenomenal also. I don't like it quite as much as Wolf Among Us. There, there are some weaknesses to it, but what's really great about it is how it subverts um, the Batman mythos. Have you heard that it does that? Did you know that? In some ways, yeah. I mean, it takes characters and changes them dramatically. Um, and I won't go too far into it, of course. Um, Wayne's family in particular, um, you find out very early on that they may not be as uh, innocent and wonderful as you thought. Um, and then, and then that just that trend just continues and continues um, with Oswald Cobblepot and just character after character. And it has by the end of the third or fourth episode, I forget which one it was. I think it was the third. It had one of the best twists I've experienced in the last year. Um, and, and for a Batman game to be able to pull off a twist like that was, I, I, I mean, my mind was blown. I can't wait till you play it so we can talk about it because I was really shocked and floored. That's a great game. It's um, it, it's definitely one I'd like to play. I played the first episode. Because yeah. it's free, and I, I just need to get... I think you said there was a sale a few weeks ago, but I think I missed it by just a day. I was very bummed, so... Yeah, it's yeah, it's on sale a lot. The Telltale stuff's on sale a lot. Not as much the Batman one, but a lot of them are. I give it um, a few... It'll be on the old enough list. It'll just be... Like, that's yeah. the way it is. Once they're about two years old, they're always dirt cheap. Discounted. You're right. I love it. I love... If there's one thing I love about the trends in gaming and, and buying games recently, it's I like buying stuff digital whenever I can now. Because um, I don't like putting discs in anymore. I got lazy. 
I like the idea of a jukebox video game player. And then the other thing is the fact that they adopted Steam's method of selling games. Because I don't buy stuff digital if there's not a good reason to. But now that they've given me a good discount reason to buy digitally, I love doing it. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other ones that I started were Guardians. I started the Guardians one. I, I got the first episode for like, I don't know, five, ten bucks and played that one. Um, actually, with, with uh, uh, co-host Kevin, um, we played through it together, uh, the first episode, um, just to do some gaming. And um, it is um, okay. It's not my favorite. It's okay. I enjoyed it probably the least of all of them, but it's not bad. Um, and then I picked up... Now, everyone, every time you look up, like, um, Telltale games and which ones you should play, everyone says, Tales from the Borderlands is the freaking best. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I, I started playing that one. I played the first episode, and I like it a lot. It isn't my favorite, but I like it a lot. What, what are you, What is your take on that one? Well, I mean, I would, I would first of all say, I think it's a little unfair to compare ones you finished to ones you've just started. Of course. Of course. Um... But no, I mean Tales is my favorite. That that it's it is my favorite uh, Telltale game that they've done. Like I, I think it was, it was it was just behind what I'm pretty sure is the next game you're going to talk about is my game of the year that year. Uh, so, you know, I really enjoy Tales from the Borderland. I love to I love the Borderlands universe. I was really my big hope was that they would they would just finally be like, all right, Battleborn was a flop. Let's go ahead and talk about Borderlands three at E3 this year. They did not. Um, and I'm really, every, like everyone, I'm waiting on season two. Uh, I, I realize Minecraft has a season two now, which blew me away. And it's like, ah, oh, still no tales though. So I'm, I'm hoping that they're kind of trying to coordinate it more closely. And maybe they'll, they'll have a big announcement with both those games. Because I, I think they're probably trying to coordinate them a little better to, to, to match up. Cause, I see. You know, uh, that's just speculation. But I would assume, because Borderlands, it's very clear that they, they have to, given that they're both such narrative-driven games. Right, um, and it is it is absolutely a continuation of that world. It comes; it's the only sequel content we've gotten since Borderlands Two. Exactly, um, and so that's cool. And and I actually I just saw the fact that Handsome Jack is going to be playing a role in it. I didn't know that. Um, is that what are the aspects that really make it great for you? Because I want to get pumped. Tales. Yeah, it's just a great. Um, it's it's a great adventure. I mean, it's like I I would say how people feel about. Something like Indiana Jones or Uncharted, it's very much just a, a rambling, great, epic, ad sweeping adventure. And I mean, yeah, the first episode is much more limited. It's about the characters coming together and setting up their motivations and where they're headed. Um, but once they, they kind of hit the road in episode two, it, it definitely gets to the point where it's all about the characters growing and growing together. Awesome. And telling a very, very good story in the Borderlands universe. So uh, Awesome. It's it's just a phenomenal time. I've I've considered restarting it a lot just because I I want Borderlands back in my life and the yeah. the, the handsome collection always kind of tempts me and I'm like I've I've played through all that content and I don't really want to play through it all again. Yeah, so I haven't actually finished two. Believe it or not, I finished one and I finished pre sequel, but I only got like two thirds of the way through two, so I have to finish that one. So for me, that handsome collection is real tempting. The lowest I've seen it for is nineteen something, and I almost pulled the trigger, but I didn't quite. It goes on sale a good bit now, so so hopefully it'll be on again. Um, but yeah, like you just alluded, um, another game that that I got back to finally uh, is Life is Strange. Um, but Jordan, I blew it. I blew it bad. Uh, I went online. And I blew it. Um, I, 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 I was really stuck on the Nathan Prescott, should I turn him in or tur not turn him in decision. you got to just that, do this stuff. you got to. I know. 
I know. I blew it, man. I blew that whole game on myself. It's ruined. I mean, I'm going to play it because the characters are so good, but I got to admit, I blew it. Um, so I know the ending of Episode 2 and the ending of Episode 4. Um, and I try, you know, the two big deals. Yeah. That game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I, it sucks. I, I'm never going to be able to give a fair estimation of that game. Um, I really like it. I'm really, in, I want to play more of it, but I blew it on myself and that really sucks. I mean, you know how I hate spoilers. Um, and I spoiled myself and I got no one to blame but me. It's sad. Um, but no, you know, I mean, it, it is what it, it is. It's a shame. Like I, I, I think I talked about at the time, the ending of episode two is probably one of the most affecting moments of a, a choose your own adventure type game like that because of how it sets up that reveal of what happens and what, you know, what could have happened. Um, and then did you get, did you get a good or bad scenario? I had a bad scenario. Yeah. Uh, that was part of why it was so affecting to realize that it was a, it wasn't a no win scenario like it seems originally. Yeah. Um, and then in turn, yeah, the, the, the big story reveals at the end of episode four are also pretty major. So yeah, I mean, that's a bummer. I, there's nothing else to say, but it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. So anyway, I mean, I only know the one, you know, I just know like what happens to that one character at the end of two and the one character big twist at, at the end of four. I mean, do you think that makes it unplayable at this point? No, I wouldn't say it's unplayable. I think it very much is about that relationship and friendship. And, you know, there, there's still stuff to be decided in episode five. Um, so, you know, I, I would say it's not unplayable. I think it's worth experiencing because it's a great story and yeah. they're yeah. continuing it. So Yeah, the characters are amazing. I mean, I really like them. And, you know, a lot of people have complained about that game's dialogue. Again, though, kind of like with the ending of Prey, it, that 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 um, knife edge was blunted for me by being warned. Um, so it was, when she says hella, hella 3,000 times, I'm just like, what? I didn't even hear that because I was expecting it. I don't know. It To me, it doesn't seem that off. Um, and honestly, I but I'm also someone who consumes a lot of... Uh, teenage high school set material so ya yeah i i think i think what it comes down to is honestly that character chloe is um a character looking for an identity um and so in some ways the falseness of those words coming out of her mouth um almost fit um in a way so um i you know from that angle i can enjoy it again until i fully see what the arc of the story is going to be in terms of her journey because i don't know anything about that yeah at all no, so I think um, there's definitely still stuff there, but I mean, in terms of the big mystery, yeah, you kind of, you kind of, you, you screwed the pooch. Yeah, it's all right. I'll live. Um, uh, so at least the one good thing is I'm going to make sure I get the good ending of chapter two now. <laughs> um, and anyway, that also kind of screws myself out of that experience, but whatever. One game that I don't get to experience, it's one of the best games of a year ago, and that sucks, but I mean, it, it, is it what happens, it is. you know, I, I yeah. felt bad, uh, our, our uh, former co-host, Kelsey, she she had Going Home ruined for her. And, you know, she played it, but it, it changes the experience when you know. It does. It, it really does. But uh, I'd much rather have that one ruined than this one. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, okay, so um, there are a couple others that I've played that I'm not going to go into huge detail on. Um, the um, uh, Persona 5, I think I'd rather uh, discuss that later on when I maybe finished it and maybe... Uh, well, anyway, we'll talk in a minute about why I'd rather talk about that later. Um, I played some more Bar Batman Arkham Knight DLC, which I'd like to talk about at a later date. Obviously, Batman Telltale got me in the mood. Um, and um, there's basically just one more that I want to talk about, but why don't you tell me a couple more of yours, and, uh, and then I'll finish out mine. Okay, uh, the last two that I have before my thing 
the my my big news um is um mafia 3 i've been re- or getting back to and finishing out mm-hmm. uh, i'm still in the process of that it mafia 3 is a very well told story and it, when it when it wants to have really good story missions which are usually like the killing the capos missions um mm-hmm. It does it really well, but a lot of the gameplay in that is, you know, taking over the city and taking over districts. And what that boils down to is you will talk to, there's two informants in each district uh, that, you know, they'll, they'll give you information on the rackets in that district. And then you'll drive around to basically these different small warehouses or fields or whatever where they're doing their business. And you either steal their stuff or destroy their stuff or kill their, their um, underbosses. And then once you've done enough damage there, you go back to the mission person, you talk to them, and they're like, here, they, the, the big boss for this racket has gone to their hideout. And then you go to their hideout, you clear it out, you kill them, or, or recruit them, depending on the options the game gives you. And then you just do that a couple times, and that's each district of the city, and it's a lot of very samey type stuff over and over again. Um, yeah. Now again, if you're so, the, so the story is good, but but it's very repetitive. The story is very good. Um, it's it's a very well done so far t- tale of revenge, and um, the setting is well realized. Nineteen sixties deep south setting. Um, so it's good beyond just the fact that we're very hungry for stories that 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 give us you know different perspectives. It's good beyond that. Yeah, I think it it is. It's a very it's very well told, and it's got a lot of um, cool top tier performances. Um, it was, it was one of those things where it was like, oh, the, Nolan North popped up because of course he did. Um, but it's just overall really enjoyable. It's just the gameplay, honestly, and the gunplay is solid. The stealth thing works out really well, especially once you get a silenced pistol. And it, it, it's that fun thing of like, how many dudes can I take out before somebody notices and clear out a whole base without anyone noticing you, which is always fun. Um, but it's, it, it, it just, the, there's a lot of what feels like filler gameplay. Um, but, again, it has really creative missions when it wants to. And it starts very strong. Like, the reason I bought it is there was a playable demo of it. And all that is is, like, pre-taking over the city missions of, like, the setup story. And those are mm-hmm. all of the, you know, Grand Theft Auto-style big creative mission design. Um, and, again, those are still throughout the game. It's just at that once you get to the main story, it's a lot more of waiting for those to actually show up. Um, yeah, I'm very close. I think I only have one or two districts of the city left to take over, so there can't be much story left. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I'm, I'm definitely not upset. I played it. I think it's very fun, and I, I think if you're looking for something where you just want to kind of take a lot of time clearing out the city and listen to a podcast while you do it, it fits that bill well. Nice, nice. Uh, but I'll, I'll have more theoretically whenever I finish up the story. Uh, and the other game I finally got back around to, this one admittedly I did have to buy because I didn't own it, but I had false started on it two times before, was Dishonored. I got the def- oh, yeah. definitive edition. Nice. Uh, that game starts poorly, I think. Um, really? Okay. And not, not in the Because I've, I've never gotten past the first three missions myself, and I want to. I have Dishonored 2 that comes with the definitive, so I plan on it. I, I think... The big issue is that it, it until you unlock more of the powers, you're very neutered in what you can do. Um, and I think it, it, is it, it is inherently a game that tells you it's better to be stealthy and not kill people. Like, it is more or less, it outright says it where it's like, if you are high chaos, you're going to get the bad ending. <laughs> right. Um, 
you know, that's an option, but really, it is a game built around stealthing and being sneaky, and so until you get a better version of Blink, until you get the ability to see through walls and, you know, mark where people are, um, until you find get things like sleeping darts that let you knock people out from afar, it is a lot more trial and error and frustration at constantly being seen or discovered or, or you know, being stuck close to the ground. Um, but once those powers unlock and once you get enough runes to start upgrading things... Uh, by about the third or fourth mission, it, you, you settle into that flow and everything feels right. And then you just start feeling like an agent of silent, not death, because I, I was going for a, as a few kills as possible playthrough. Uh-huh. <coughs> but you feel like you're good at your job. Um, and it That's just gets cool. really fun. And so... Feeling of mastery is a great feeling in a, in, a, in a solid video game. Yeah. And it does that really well. And it leads to... Some really fun missions towards the end. I do think there there is a point where, like, the twist happens and then you have this really long mission where it's just kind of getting sort of like a get-back-to-civilization type mission. And it is a bit too long. Um, mm-hmm. It's like four or five separate load-in areas that you have to go through and work your way through. And it's not even so much about taking out targets. It's just kind of getting through it. But after that, it's it's back to good. Um, I also have all of the DLC because it's the definitive edition, but Dow right. starts back at zero, so you have to upgrade him again. So I was just kind of like, I played a lot of Dishonored. I'm going to take a break from this. Yeah, for sure. Because I'd like to play Dishonored sure. too. I've heard nothing but good things. Oh, I know. Even though it didn't supposedly sell very well, man, I've heard it's amazing. So so uh, that. Uh, and the final thing um, is I finished Final Fantasy fifteen. Ah, um, that's big news, man. That is big news. Yeah, uh, I had played a lot when it came out in November. I day one to this game. I, I didn't think I... Or not day one. I think it was near day one. Week one. Week one did. Yeah. I remember you ended up having a copy uh, on, on Xbox, and I was like, oh, wow, you actually got it. Yeah, and I, I think it was just... Surprisingly, and I'm so mad, it honestly came down to really liking elements of the soundtrack and that Florence and the Machine did did covers of songs for it okay and i okay. like i'm dead serious i really like florence and the machine i like i know covers, you do and it, that's what sold me for whatever reason and i was like you know what i like final fantasy i've been playing these games since i was a kid like a lot of gamers right and it was getting really good reviews so i was like really good reviews surprisingly good they all said hot mess but worth it yeah and so i was like you know what i'll do it i bought freaking king's glaive and watched that <laughs> Dumb, Me too. dumb movie. I didn't hate it as much as it sounds like you did, but yeah. Uh, it's kind of unnecessary, at the very least. Like, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't yeah. really give you anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know about what, what if you can call anything necessary when it comes to FF15, but... Um, and then I played through, I guess, about half. It's really hard to gauge that game, because I know, like, numerically it is 13 chapters long, but the first half of the game is where you do all the side quests, so it's way longer than when you get to the part where it's like you're literally on a railroad um, for the end of that game because they take a train most places at that point. Um, yeah. And, you know, there, there's there been a lot of talk maybe that game got kind of cut short because they just needed to put it out because you go to a lot of new areas where it's like these could have been open worlds. Maybe they were supposed to be, but then they're just not. Hmm. Um, who knows there? But but it feels like they, they maybe wanted to make it bigger and just the, the production was like, no, we got to put a game out. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's been ten years and it's ridiculous. I mean, it just got too many false starts, and false starts kill games. Um, I've even worked on projects myself 
um, that have been um, feature creep game uh, projects. You know where you just you just feature it, you add things and add things and add things until the point where you ruin it, um, and you have to you know you can't either can't finish or or you destroy what was once you know good and precious about it. Yeah. So, but but you know, I went in and uh, a lot of the early game, I was just like, ah. I Maybe don't it'll know. get better. Maybe it'll get better. Right. Well, it's a lot of you know the the story wants to be big and impactful, but then it it kind of forces you to do side missions where you're getting ingredients for a restaurant, or you know you're finding car parts, and it's supposed to be like a chill bachelor party type of deal, but right. And it keeps that vibe, even though the main character's father has been murdered and the kingdom's been like overthrown, but nobody seems that upset about it at any point early in the story they they can't be because they're having they're, they're bros and they're bonding dude um but and, and what's the, more important than that and then there's a lot of stuff where you start hanging out with the empire that killed your father and they seem weirdly chill and you're like why is everybody so chill aren't you at war um and, yeah. and the gameplay i i don't know people seem to really like the the gameplay but i never found it to evolve beyond a point where it's like all right just kind of Mash it, dudes, occasionally dodge and heal up when you need to. And if you buy enough healing items, you can pretty much brute force anything. And I'm not even saying... I'm not saying there aren't optimal strategies and ways to play it, but if you can brute force something that way, then it it does hurt the overall experience. Sure. Because there's no incentive to get better at the actual strategy and whatnot. Right. I mean, except, like, that feeling of mastery, like we just discussed. Sure. But, But, yeah. And, uh... But I was like, you know what? I want to get back to it. I want to finish it. And I was in a Final Fantasy mood. Um, and once I got to the plot part, I actually thought... Because I know a lot of people complained, like, it gets very plot railroady at the end. But I was honestly like, you know what? It's focusing now, and things seem to be happening, which is a big problem in the first part of the game. And, and you get cohesion between you and your bros and the story itself, right? Because it's 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 streamlined enough that that can happen. Yeah, except then a bunch of stuff starts happening off-screen, which is what they saved for the, like those episode uh bros that they've been doing, you know, episode Gladio, episode Prompto. Oh, is that what they do? Is that what those are? There are big chunks where you'll just be a three-man party and your th- the fourth guy will just go off on their own or they'll be separated. I mean, there there are narrative reasons, but basically that's where that's what those DLC are. They're filling in these story chunks that like just happen. And these are these are fairly big things that just kind of happen off screen and then you're like, "What happened?" and it skips time and you're just like, "Where'd like there are reveals where it's like, "Wow, they just kind of had a dropped line for this." It seems like a pretty big development, but I guess it's not about Noctis, so do they the story doesn't care as much. And really ultimately, wow. it just all falls apart by the end. Like the 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 story so why do people like Jason Schreier say the ending just like was a gut punch and it was amazing and I it blew his mind without spoilers. no idea. Like I, I can think of what the twists were. I guess like like on a knowledge level, but they don't mean anything to me. Like it's 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 the sort of stuff where it's like oh the I I'm trying to think of a way to say yeah. it. it's like yeah oh, don't, don't don't yeah the villain is actually. Yeah, this yeah, was yeah, his I motivation, and then you're like, oh, okay. does it really? That doesn't. I don't really know the guy. Right, I got it. I got it. And I so it. it's just a very down ending. It's honestly like I said it, and the more I've ruminated on this game, like I'm a 13 apologist. I enjoyed 13. I thought I like 13 it was a lot. ludicrous, and the story was poorly told, but it was at least coherent-ish. 
this feels like a story that didn't spend enough time wanting to focus on its own story. Like, this is probably my least favorite Final Fantasy that I've played. Like, I really did not like 15. Um, right. And that was a shame, because I wanted to like it. That, that is, yeah, I was really surprised to hear how much you didn't like it. I really thought at the end you would, you might come around like a lot of people did. Um, but I'm also, I mean, it's really exciting now that I have, you know, there's a dissenting opinion on it. Um, you know, people that I that I trust, whose opinions I trust in the media, and then you know you, whose opinion I I, I trust and, and and understand really well as well on the other side. It's going to be really interesting to play it and, and give my take. So I can't wait yeah. till we can both talk about it. I was I definitely want to finish it. Yeah, I was telling Kelsey when I was describing it. I, I think it's worth experiencing for yourself, but to me, it felt like a big waste of time. So it's a weird right. dichotomy of like, you got to see this shit, but it's not really that good. Right. Understood. Understood. Well, speaking of things that are amazingly good, um, I got a text about two weeks ago uh, from uh, my friend Jordan here, um, and it uh, it was very, very um, encouraging. I was excited to get it because it's been a long time coming. Um, and then on Prime Day, um, the text came to fruition, and I would love for you to tell everybody all about it. So I decided... Um... It was finally time uh, to get a PlayStation 4. <laughs> Word. Uh, for a number of reasons. One, uh, E3 showed off a lot of good stuff. And, uh, you know, if not anything new from Sony, it was a lot of footage of games I want to play. Yeah. Um, it's a nearly four-year-old system, so the library is there. Um, but more than anything, I had sold a bunch of stuff to Amazon. I knew Prime Day was coming up, and PlayStation 4 was probably going to go on sale. Which it did. Um, it it what was it twenty percent? Uh, it was I think total. It was like thirty five dollars less than it normally lists for. That's really good. That's really good for a console. Um, and it came with Uncharted, and it came with uh, they added a couple bonuses with the Prime Day sale because it also came with The Last of Us Remastered. Not that I'm going to touch that, but right, right. Uh, I have it. I have it sitting on my. Uh, downloadable game list as well um and i only say that because i've played the last of us and if you go back all the way in the archive none of us were super impressed by the last of us i don't think nor nor even if I, the amount that i did enjoy it there's no way i want to play it again yeah if anything i'd maybe play the dlc because i never played right that, but right right um so that all happened and i got a ps4 and i've been experiencing a lot of ps4 games because between other prime day sales and the fact that it was the PlayStation summer sale, um, and then some birthday gifts. Like, it was all kind of a perfect storm of all of these reasons to just be like, I'm going to get gifts and sales, and I traded stuff to Amazon. I was like, if I don't get a PS4 now, I might never do it. So For like, a young dude, for a young dude, you're amazingly pragmatic when it comes to purchases. Like, it, rather than being caught up in, like, the buzz and the excitement of the Switch... You're just like, nope, nope. I actually, you actually think fundamentally, what system has the games that I need to play? You're, you're, you know, you're just very, very not led, at least in this regard, by the buzz. Um, and you were literally thinking. I mean, I can think of an amazing list. I mean, right? We got all of the, um, all of the Yakuza games. You've got uh, Bloodborne. I know was a huge one for you. You got the Kingdom Hearts games. You've got um, uh, all, you know, the the new Crash game. You've got all the Uncharted games. Um, you've got Persona 5. I mean, there's so many things. So many things. Near, 
um, Horizon. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's so many games to play. Yeah, and um, you just unlocked all of that for yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's still more I would like to get because God knows there's plenty, and and a lot of them are still quite pricey because games like you mentioned, Near, Neo, um, Yakuza Zero, they're all still full price games. Oh, Neo looks so sweet. I got. I can't wait to play that when I get to it. But the Yakuza One remake's only going to be thirty dollars, and it comes out next month, so that's exciting. Oh, but. Every time the Yakuza 1, every time I hear anything about any Yakuza game, I go on that same Wikipedia page and look at that date again. Because I always forget what day in August it's coming out, and I always get disappointed that it's like the last day of August. It it's is. like the 29th. And I'm like, damn it, I want it so bad. I have been waiting for uh, uh, a remake, an ability to play Yakuza, which I've heard is just one of the best stories in all of gaming, especially Japanese gaming. Um, and I want to play it, I want to play it, I want to play it. I even have a PS2 copy. I even had my PS2 hooked up, and I was like, oh, I just can't go back this far. And I've been struggling with it, and then remakes came out for other systems, but not ours. And finally, it's coming here with the best remake of all time, 30 bucks, uh, uh, Yakuza Kiwami, freaking August 29th. I cannot wait. Yeah, um, and I, I liked Yakuza 3 when I played that. But uh, as is, I got a... <laughs> Surprisingly stacked amount of games um, okay. that I'm excited to be playing through. Um, some of these, I'll start with the ones that I haven't really had a chance to fully get into, or okay. that are fairly old inherently. Um, because because the system came with Uncharted 4, uh, I got the Uncharted Nathan Drake collection. Uh, because I had right. played Uncharted 1, but I never got that far. Having, I, I, I started with Uncharted 2. I didn't get that far into Uncharted 2 when I played it, I, I realized. Well, that game is a masterpiece, and you know, as I've said way too many times, the joy of gaming title is tangentially related to that game. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, so I've got that. I've got Uncharted 3 after that. I'm pretty close to the end of Uncharted 2, it feels like. Um, nice. And then, yeah, I've got two more games after that. And, you know, I think 3 is probably the least loved of the three I have to play, which yeah. which isn't to say it's hated, just that it's... Some people like it better. Like, uh, um, a kind of funny guy, I believe, um, uh, he... Uh, or oration uh, or Craig Miller yes Greg Miller I think likes three better than than two if it's not him it's somebody like him um that actually like says that they like three better and three does have some really cool aspects so both of them are excellent games two probably takes the prize slightly though um we'll see I'll, I'll definitely have thoughts uh, as yeah, I go for forward sure. um and then I, I know play four. Uncharted, I have four I know uncharted four is really well regarded as the end right. of the series and and probably the best story um uh, I, I also picked up Bloodborne. Did you? Yeah, why wouldn't I? I didn't know that one. Yeah, yeah, I picked up Bloodborne. Um, I've, I've not gotten super far into it. Uh, it, it's so Dark Souls in just, like, every way except maybe that, really, it just feels like Dark Souls without S.H.I.E.L.D. and a, a different theme. And a Cthulhu theme, yeah. Cause, well, you know, you, you, you played three, though, before this. True, but I didn't think three was super different from two or one. I mean, I think there. So you think if you had just played one and two and then played this, you'd still feel just as strongly that it just plays just like Dark Souls. I don't want to say just like because obviously it's got different weapons and it adds the gun in and takes away shields and. Um, it's it's faster, quote unquote. It, it I, I granted I am still very early going in it. Um, I haven't even unlocked leveling up yet, so. Uh, <laughs> okay. We don't get that till you see the first boss. So okay, um, but yeah, it, it, it certainly, f certainly in terms of of 
everything about the interface and how it works is very Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. I mean, blood echoes your souls. You fight bosses. You pick souls up. Now, it adds some cool twists that Dark Souls doesn't have. Um, you know, you can recover your blood echoes when you die, but... Uh, in, in, in Bloodborne, there's the chance the enemy that killed you will pick them up and you'll have to actually kill them to get your souls back. Huh. Uh, so, okay. So that's right. a neat feature. Um, and, and just generally, it is a very different type of setting. Um, but again, I'm not super far into Bloodborne, so it's hard to make any, any full... Um, Are you really excited to play it, though? Yeah. I mean, I, I've i been actually watching the Super Beer Bros. Uh, let's or playthrough of uh, Dark Souls 3 just because I, I wanted a game kind of like that. I also... The Dark Souls 3 speedrun at uh, Summer Games Done Quick was very entertaining. So I, I wanted a game nice. like that. And then... Um, other than that, uh, Until Dawn is the free PS Plus game. So I have a trial for PS Plus, which I will let... I will you know, end when two weeks are up. So I might not, I, I don't, I, I'm, why, why not keep it? So you can play online. Cause it costs money. All right. Um, really the, the big thing there is, um, until Dude, Dawn, those PS plus games are awesome every month, man. No, they are. And, and I mean, what's nice about it is I know I lose access to them when I don't have it, but they'll still be there. So whenever I do get it again, I can finish until Dawn and it's, it's, right. it's good from what I've played of it. I just don't know that I'm going to go through it because I know you, you need to go through it multiple times to see the whole story. Um, I'm really surprised that you're not all over that shit. Uh, there's just other games I'm, I'm enjoying more right now. Um, yeah, that's understandable. Uh, I also picked up Persona 5, which I got that through a gift. Someone sent me a gift for enough to get a full game, so I got Persona 5. Uh, um, thank by you the way, to Tim I, for um, that. Yeah, yeah, what's up, Tim? Um, I actually, um, that's why I want to talk about it later, because I've given my, like, very initial thoughts on it. I'd rather wait till we both played more of it and chat about it. Oh, Persona 5? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say right now. I've played, I don't even have what I feel like I'm through the, the prologue of it, because I, I, I haven't gone into a dungeon on my own yet. Uh, right, that's what I mean, so, you know. But, you know, so far, it feels like Persona... Um, I, it's, you know, I'm so trepidatious on this game. It's like I've said before, Persona 4 is such a, it is, it is, it jockeys for my favorite game of all time. So any, anything different or a new story, it's, it's going to be hard to adjust to, but I, I need to, I really, I'm just waiting for a chance to sit down and play a good long stretch of it. Um, yeah, you, you, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's great. I know it's going to be very tough for you. I know you said that your excitement was, was always tempered by the fact that, you're really in love with the Persona forecast, and that kind of was Persona for you. Yeah. So you know, getting in, you know having a game endear you to a brand new set of characters is going to be tough. They're pretty great, though. No, I, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm looking forward to playing more of it. Um, yeah. But there's three games I've probably spent the most time with. Um, the first is Ratchet and Clank. I love Ratchet. How and you Clank. liking that? Yeah, I've been thinking about. I actually popped it in last night to play it again. I have it, and I just haven't gotten to really crank through it. But um, how far are you? I probably near the end wow that game's short huh i mean i think it's as long as they've ever been i think as i've gotten older i've gotten better and yeah. they're easier to play um it's definitely longer than into the nexus uh yeah. but what i'll say about it is it's ratchet and clank is fun they've definitely nailed down a system that works and they always tweak yep. it and you know it's nothing revolutionary but i love playing ratchet and clank games it's so fun they do a great job of 
giving you different weapons and making you want to play with all the weapons. And yeah, there's the big open world where there's this one huge collectible you have to use a you you know jetpack or surf or whatever to go get. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a well, actually, I haven't even seen a coliseum yet, so I hope there's a coliseum. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's racing. Um, but you know, these are elements that I like. This is a remake of the first game, but really, it's more of like a reimagining because it's it's not it's not like they they really recreated the first game like a, a strict remake. Um, right. And I just look, I love these characters. I love this world and I love how this kind of streamlines. It's basically a reboot and it, it manages to streamline a lot of the elements of the whole series into a new cohesive universe. So I'm up for, I'm always up for more um Ratchet and Clank. This it it feels it's the one franchise they still know how to do right whereas I think they've struggled at getting other IPs off the ground. Yeah, indeed. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Spider-Man is. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it much. I am excited to be able to play that, but I was not blown away by the E3 footage. It looked me like either. it looked like a Spider-Man game. It didn't look like anything new to me. No, it looked. Yeah, me too. I was. I was just like more cinematic. Like, I'll certainly play it. Yeah. I'll certainly enjoy the shit out of it. But you know, yeah, it's definitely a more cinematic game. But I'm not like blown away. Word. Um. And then the other two big ones, uh, Kingdom Hearts 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix. I hold that game in my hand when I go to the store. I may have said this on the podcast. And I just reflect on how much content is in that box. It's so much blood, sweat, tears, passion. Years and years and years and years of people's lives. And all the lore and all that. The, there's so much in that one little game, and it's like forty bucks. It's amazing. It always blows my mind when I hold that in my hand. How much of uh, everything I'm holding? Yeah, it is a massive collection. I mean, I don't know how long it'll take me to get through it all. Um, but I will say this: uh, I think now. Now, granted, this is both the HD update to it and the final mix version of it. So it's about as polished as it's ever going to get. It definitely feels more modernized, and, and for that reason, because I want to say it holds up well, but also I know this game has been tweaked a lot in the intervening yeah. years, because I know it also brings in a lot of elements to make it play closer to Kingdom Hearts 2, and, mm-hmm. and saying that as if Kingdom Hearts 2 is not also a very old game, but, but um, that makes me hopeful that Kingdom Hearts 2 holds up as well. Uh, it's also, it's much, not, not much shorter, because I remember it being way shorter than Kingdom Hearts 2. But the, the worlds that felt... A, a lot of what, what made it feel longer back then is just design where it's a lot of uh, maze... Like, very small worlds, but put together maze-like. And having very specific ways that you need to trigger different cutscenes and backtracking. And the backtracking mm-hmm. is, never not, is never that bad. Because, again, most areas have up to, you know, 10 to 15 different room-sized areas. So, you know, it, it, it manages to get the worlds in and make them feel distinct. It's just they're not as big as they felt in 2002. You're right, right. Uh, but I'm really enjoying it. I always liked this series, and the first one is so nice because it's before it got so ridiculously convoluted. Yeah, um, two, two I've heard is kind of whack. I mean, it doesn't even start as Sora, so. Um, but I'm looking forward to playing that. You know, this also has Chain of Memories, which I never played the PS2 remake, but I loved the Game Boy version. Um, oh, I didn't know you played that. That's cool. Oh, yeah, I played the heck out of that. Um, I played Kingdom Hearts 2 and never finished it because it is a 
excuse me, it's a very long game, and <laughs> yeah, it makes it, it. It has more Disney worlds, which I like. I, I was honestly surprised looking back. It's like, man, there's not that many worlds in the first Kingdom Hearts. Um, yeah, and then uh, the second one does a lot of going through worlds one time and then having to come back later to complete the story. So it it expands it in ways that I think when I was younger made it feel like, oh, I'm almost to the end. I've seen everything. And then I was like, oh, I have to go back everywhere. I think that right. threw me. Um, and then it also has Birth by Sleep, which is, I think, the best regarded spin-off games. And I've never played it because it was on the PSP. Right. Um, There's so much in there. I mean, it, I can't wait to play that when I have some time. Yeah. And so I'm actually, uh, this is a, a small preview because I think the first one will be out, or the the... The, the the introduction will be out by the time this episode comes out, but since I'm playing through it, and because of the Kingdom Hearts news, I'm going to just be chronicling my experiences with each game in the series, now I nice. guess leading up to the release of the new one, on the joyofgeek.net. And I gave awesome. it an appropriately convoluted name, so it's going to be uh, Unlocking Reminiscence, a Kingdom Hearts retrospective. Alright! Uh, and so that is going to start with like a sort of intro article, and the Kingdom Hearts will probably come pretty quickly after that, because I'm almost done with the game. Wow, how long is it? <laughs> um, I'm nine hours in? That's all it takes? Uh, well, I still have three worlds? Three more, no, four more worlds, and then the final boss. And I've That game gone... is much shorter than I thought. Yeah, I mean, I've gone through six worlds already, so I'm probably about wow. just just un- over halfway there. But again, so it's like a fifteen hour game. Yeah, it's not very long at all. Now two is like forty hours. Yes. Although, right. who knows? Maybe it'll be shorter too than I remember. Yeah, uh, it's possible now that we've gotten better at game. Uh, and then you know, I'm also I'll also write about the because because the other thing there there are technically six games in that collection, but of course. Uh, Coded and 358 over two days are cinematic movies. They are long, because I think they're each like three hours. That'll take some time to get through, because I don't know that I have the willpower to sit through CG cutscenes for that long. But we'll see. Right. Um, but I want to re-experience the whole saga. I'm, I want to experience parts of the saga I never did. And eventually I'll get mm-hmm. 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue and play through the Dream Drop Distance and the Kingdom Hearts 3 Prologue that's in there. Right. Um, I need, I need a drink. Uh, the last game I have, and I actually started this before PS4 because I was that excited about it. Um, for, I'm a, I'm a reader of Kotaku because I really, I just like their content and they always do interesting articles. I love, I love Kotaku. Yeah. Uh, I love Jason, uh, how do you say his name? Schreier? Oh, I love him. Yeah. Um, I remember when he was doing specifically random encounters as a column, but back when it was way more doldrumous for RPGs, um, and now he just kind of covers them all the time, uh, as well as Destiny. Um, but between him and, and Mike Fahey, there's one game that keeps coming up. Like, every month there's an article about how freaking great uh, Final Fantasy XIV is. And so, you know, I've always seen that. Final Fantasy XIV is great. It's so good. It's got the best mainline story in the series is seen in a decade. Um, you know, slow start, but once you get to, like, the late game and then Heaven's Word and now Stormblood, it's just, it's phenomenal. It'll blow you away. And I've seen this content for so long. I even tried playing it on PC a while back, but it runs pretty janky on a laptop <laughs> if you're not a right. gaming system. I think, in fact... Right. Because, like I said, earlier last week, I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and do the trial, because the trial's free and there's no time limit now. Right. You can go up to level 35. Um, And so it was running at, I think, 
12 to 14 frames per second. <laughs> and I'm not an FPS snob, but that's pretty slideshowy at that point. Yes, uh, that's, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I've been playing that. I, I, load, I started up a character and I transferred with, because the PS4, it was on sale. The whole base game was like $12 during the summer sale on PlayStation. Wow. And it comes with a month of free play because it is a subscription-based MMO. Um, right. But it's a heavily single-player MMO. And so far, yeah, it's definitely that. It's a very single-player-focused MMO that does have a lot of multiplayer stuff. But even when it requires you, because you have to do dungeons for the story, but it has a very solid thing called the Duty Finder that will be like, okay, here is your role. We're going to plug you in and we'll find you a team and then you can run the dungeon and just do that. That's great. It sounds like they've done some very smart decisions on how to make it a good uh, experience for traditionally single-player Final Fantasy gamers. Yeah. Now, it's it's definitely slow starting. Like, the story, it's very, you know, it's a lot of your standard, go kill this enemy because this enemy we want to show you is here. Or go collect mm-hmm. this item, you know, go do, go talk to this person. But I think what it does really well is all of the initial quests give you tutorials on all the different game systems and introduces you to everything and there's so many different like the way it does levels leveling is really well thought out because each um job you can get has its own job quest line and all you have to do to change jobs is if you're holding a bow and arrow you're an archer if you suddenly want to change it and equip a lance you're a lancer if you equip a fishing rod you're a fisher and they, they have all the guilds where you can do those quest lines and learn all of these different systems that the game has it has do you really see yourself playing this game I mean, I've I've been playing it. <laughs> no, what I mean is, do you see yourself playing it like long term, getting expansions and like being like a regular fourteen player? I I don't know. I've never been an MMO guy. I've tried. No, no. It's difficult, but I'll be honest. The story is starting to pick up. It is very. I've slow. heard it's really excellent. And but the elements are there, and it's just a fascinating game to learn about in general. Well, it's always fun when you dive into a new game like that. Like, Destiny, half the fun was learning about all the systems and all the hidden stuff and how everything works. When you're in that honeymoon phase with a game that you're really enjoying, it's the best part. No, it is. And, I, you know, I'm fully aware of that. But just the way, again, just last Oh, night, I don't mean that as a reason no, to no, no, say no, no, that no, it's no. not going to be fun going forward. But I'm just saying that it's especially fun. No, I'm not saying you're, you are. But, but you're not. I, that is a possibility. Um, yeah. Because the honeymoon phase ends. But... Again, just the way it teaches things and informs you about stuff. Like there is a whole guild, or like a it's like the Hall of Beginners or Hall of Newbies or something, right? That I did just last night, right before the first, because it basically is like here you're gonna do your first dungeon. You can go right to it, but it introduces you to that dungeon right in a place where it's built around. Okay, what is your class? Here is a whole chain of like eight quests that are just training for how to be part of a party, even if you're not gonna be on voice chat. It's like, here's right. how you draw aggro, or here is how you, you know, attack enemies that the tank is fighting so that they don't come and kill you. Protect your healer. Interact with the environment. Um, and it, it gives you all of this and didn't, does like a very mini exam to show you how to be part of a dungeon. Um, and it's just got very smart elements like that. Um, well, that is a game that they got a very rare, and I know, you, you know everybody knows this, but they had a very rare shot to reboot it. It came out as a bomb of a game. Everybody says it was fucking terrible, and they made it. They got they got to redo it. They got a year to go back to the starting point and remake it into what's now called a Realm Reborn. And that origin took a game that was going to be a bomb 
and turn it into what a lot of people consider a masterpiece of the MMO form. And to that end, I'm going to I'm going to give a plug. In my fervor because I was reading everything Final Fantasy, you know, exploring yeah, everything, yeah. there is a very good YouTube documentary called The No Clip? No, not No Clip. Um Okay, that's good too. I'm going to check that out. But it's from uh, a YouTube channel called The Speakers Network. And, you know, they just do Final Fantasy XIV videos, basically. But what they did was the fall and rise of Final Fantasy XIV. And it's a six-part documentary where they look at from, you know, when Eleven was ending and they started developing XIV through that whole process, all the things about what made the four first 1.0 so bad, how they oh, that's interesting. realized things, what they did to fix it, how they were trying to patch it, and how you know the current runner when when they were brought on was basically like, there's stuff we can keep, but we have we basically have to because we're just bleeding money, and you know they they had to push for it, but basically and, you know it's the sort of thing no company wants to do, but Square Enix's hands were basically tied because otherwise they were going to just lose it all altogether, um, right. And so it's a six-part series. They also have these supplementals called um, Remnants of a Realm, which is all about, you know, the things that stayed from 1.0, the things that changed. It's just... Oh, man. And it, and it, it's just fascinating. And then when you play A Realm Reborn, the whole plot is driven by the end of 1.0, because 1.0 ends with this big cataclysmic event, and that informs the story. So it didn't even fully abandon that. It used it to tell its new story. That's beautiful. Um, I love I love that. And you know what's really cool about that as an interesting parallel? Um, any gamer worth their salt knows that Final Fantasy, the very title, the very game, was the last game that Square was going to ever make. They called it Final Fantasy because it was the last game they could afford to make, and they expected to close up shop after that. So in an interesting way, life imitating art, or vice versa, and Final Fantasy goes hand in hand. So you have that first game that, that does that, and now we have this game where... You know, very real conditions in the making of the game impacted directly the aim and the plot of said game. Yeah. So I, I've look. It's a very fun one, and the fact that it is free to play for so long, you know, at the very least, it's worth checking out. I mean, it's free to play to level thirty-five, and there's no time limit. Um, wait. Oh, really? So you don't even have to pay the monthly before thirty-five. No, it. I mean, there are some limitations. Like you can't. I think there is a heart, a soft cap because I don't think you're allowed to do dungeons um, before you have the full game. So it might just be when you get to that point in the story. But that is the whole prologue up until you've, you know, gone to the other realms uh, or the other regions. Because depending on what class you start with depends on your starting area. But it's a lot of game, and it's it's really fun to just kind of get to know it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, more on that. Maybe I'll keep playing it. I might end up dropping it. Um, but if nothing else, I'm really having fun with it right now. So, Awesome, awesome. Well, um, speaking of interesting um, dives into uh, really big game franchises, have you dived back into Diablo 3 by chance? I have not. I've, I've considered it. I just, I, $15 feels like a lot for one class. Dude, it's great. It's great. That class is... I, I like it better than the Monk. So I've been playing the Necromancer. I played the first two acts. I'm on the third act about halfway through it. Dude, it's so fun. It almost... I mean, it's been years since I played that game. I know you dove back in a little more recently than I did. So for me, like, playing through the campaign feels... The first the first act I've done, like, four times. So, like, that part's boring. But after that, the second and third acts feel really fresh to me again. And I really enjoyed it. But that class is awesome. It It... 
I thought, so remember the Witch Doctor and how much I bitched mercilessly about how it felt like you're not actually, like, playing the game. You're kind of, like, commanding other creatures to play the game for you. Mm -hmm. The Necromancer, although I assumed it would be even worse like that, is not like that at all. In fact, it is all direct stuff you do. Even, like, the minions that you summon, the, the, the um, like, there's this one thing with these skeletal skeletons, they're just there. They just, like, hang out. If you have that ability selected, the skeleton army or whatever, they're just, like, they rise up out of the ground and there's six skeletons and they follow you everywhere. So for a solo player like me, it's the perfect class because you feel like you're a huge group of players playing, but it doesn't take your agency away. Instead, instead they, they'll just fight on their own, whatever, but that's not a big deal. You, When you activate the skill, all the skeletons just charge and attack. Like it's an attack you threw, like a spell or something. And then there's like there's two main like spell spells that you do. One is called um, 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 uh, it's like a it's like a wave attack. It's it's a circle around you, like something force, um, and it just like shoots out in a circle, and you can make bigger circles, and it's really fun. And then there's also one that you shoot like a spear attack. So it's like it's a class where you command pets, but not to the detriment of having direct awesome powerful attacks and you can do curses and there's all kinds of great armor and weapons and abilities jordan it's really fun i want to play it <laughs> i do I uh, yeah just, it, it's you know with the ps4 i i focused in oh of course and plus your characters are on the one so the last thing you want to do is pick it up I, although if you're starting a new character no because there's all the other stuff you unlock like your like your dude who does you know your crafting abilities and all that stuff yeah it, it's my system i'm i'm pretty committed to the xbox yeah. Um, so is that still gonna, so as as a, as a corollary then is that going to be the deal going forward? Xbox One is still going to be your home system. Yeah, more than likely. Yeah. Although you got to admit that PS4 is pretty sweet, man. No, it's it's a solid setup. I, I'm I'm enjoying it. But but for for games that are multi-platform, I mean the Xbox One's probably still where I'll go for it. Awesome. Well, hey, um, in the interest of time, let's just, uh, to wrap up, let's, uh, let's do our plugs, and then let's talk about the one thing we're most excited to play next. Sure. Um, plug it. All right. Well, as always, you can find us at thejoyofgaming.com, where our whole episode archive exists. It's also on the sidebar at thejoyofgeek.net, which is where our written content is, and we're finally getting back to that. So, you know, check out Kevin's review of Spider-Man, or listen to our episodic review of Spider-Man. Um, and then I'll be doing my Kingdom Hearts thing, and as well as trying to come up with other things to write about. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at The Joy of Game, on Facebook, The Joy of Geek, The Joy of Gaming. Uh, you can find me personally at Indigo Master on Twitter, that's E-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-S-T-E-R, or JordanLSega.tumblr.com for all my writing stuff, or Facebook.com slash writer for also all my writing stuff. That's probably better than the Tumblr, because I'm still trying to figure Tumblr out. <laughs> awesome. Um, and you can find me at RT Lapore on Twitter. Um, and, uh, that's really the main place. Um, and then, uh, obviously, uh, joyofgeek.net and, uh, what did you say? Joyofgaming.com for the, uh, get for the archive, yeah, even yeah. for the joy of geek content. Okay. Cool. I couldn't, you were doing the micro machines voice. I couldn't quite tell. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Um, and, uh, uh, so what do you, what do you think? What are you going to be playing? What's the number one thing? I know you're playing kingdom hearts, but what is like the one thing maybe you haven't mentioned yet that you want to get to that I haven't mentioned? Um, <laughs> I threw a curveball your way. If there's. It's a tie, probably. The, okay. the two games that I most would want to get for PS4 next okay. uh, would either be Crash Bandicoot or Yakuza 0, because both of those are very different from any of the other games I have, and I'm I'm really excited to get to both of those 
Sony exclusive franchises. The one other... Would, or, would you want to play Yakuza 0 before 1? I mean, yeah. It's I know it's set in the storyline before that, and it is the more modern one. Okay. Uh, and then uh, close close third would be Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age. Oh, wow. Even though you're playing 14 so heavily and you just finished 15. Well, I, again, 15 wasn't very good, and I know 12 right. is a more focused single-player one. And it's getting really good reviews for all that it does to, uh, you know, quality of life fix it. So This is, this is very true. Um, so I have so many things that I want to I get to, um, but let me think about what the biggest one that I haven't mentioned is. I have some stuff I still need to finish up. So Resident Evil is one of the next ones on the docket, Resident Evil 7, so I played the first two-thirds of that. And so I really like it at this point, although I hear it goes a little downhill. Um, after that, but I'm still excited to play it. I also want to dive into uh, Dishonored that you mentioned. Um, yeah. Man, I have so much stuff. I have. I also want to play the New Order. So much stuff. Um, but uh, and also, oh, and finishing Persona Five. That's probably the thing that I need to have just the discipline. That's one of those things, like I mentioned before. I just need to like bite down. That sounded terrible. Can't get through a podcast without <laughs> me saying something terrible, right? Yeah. Um, but um, I really need to just like knuckle through finishing that up because I know it's one of those things that's so satisfying and so fun when you finish it or when you play a large chunk. But you really need four or five hours to really like sit down and make some progress, you know? Yeah. Awesome. All righty. Well, hey, man, on that note, I'm Rich Lapore. I'm Jordan Alseka. And uh, we will see you all really soon. Talk to you guys later.